This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. And I'm Andrew Bowser. Welcome to Deep Cuts, a podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Onyx, the Fortuitous, and the making of a viral meme. Who is Onyx the Fortuitous? Well, he's a character that popped up in the mid-2000s series of viral videos. The character, known for his bizarrely fast-paced dialogue and quirky flaws, was initially thought to be a real person by internet aficionados. However, after millions and millions of views, a Nerdist original series, and legions of fans, he's now parlaying his viral fame into the next level. A fucking feature film, baby! Whoop whoop! <laughs> Call back the Juggalo episode there. <laughs> Act one. You think I don't know, but you have no idea. The life of an artist is a lonely one. Yes, there are moments of shining splendor and praise which theoretically make it all worth it. But most of the time, it's diligent hard work, quiet toil, and the sacrifice of friendships, relationships, and so on that goes into the creation of a body of work. The subject of this episode of Deep Cuts is a man who has stood steadfast against the dark, has willed multiple feature films into existence and chosen the difficult path more times than a normal person would. Why? Because of faith. Faith in himself, faith in his ideas, faith in really stupid jokes about small dicks, massive sinkholes, and smooching so hard that your nose bleeds. Andrew Bowser is an actor, writer, director, rapper, and apparently collector of multi-hyphenate professions that come after his name. Starting off as a child actor, Bowser appeared in a 1996 episode of the television show Homicide Life on the Streets, in which he played a character named Derek Delmond. In the episode, he shared the scene with young Elijah Wood. In 1999, he appeared in the film Henry Hill as a young version of the protagonist. So, Mr. Bowser, my initial question is, was Elijah Wood cool? And the second one was where you were a loner as a kid. <laughs> Elijah Wood was very cool. He was very cool. He was already a known star at that point when he did that episode of Homicide. But I specifically remember uh, he still just like ate lunch with the full cast and crew. You know, we all just uh, went through the buffet together and had great conversations over lunch. He was super cool. Um, and uh, I actually ran into him at Comic-Con just a few years ago when I worked at Nerdist and just for the fun of it was like, Hey, we acted together when we were kids. I was in the show homicide. And he was like, I remember that. I remember all like the other, all the, all the other young actors were like Baltimore natives. And I was like, yeah, totally. So he was super cool. Um, was I a loner? 
I wouldn't define myself as a loner, but as an adult, when I look back, I guess I was. I'd say I always found my little crew, but maybe it was like a crew of loners. It was like a crew of losers. In middle school, we had a a name for our little crew and we were the the born losers. So <laughs> I I was never truly alone. I just uh it definitely was an effort to find the people that I felt comfortable with and the people that I felt like I could be myself with. So yeah, I definitely was pushed out of certain social environments, but was never quite an island, you know, always had my my squad as it were, even if we were losers. Yeah, I feel like that's probably, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Papa Pricey, but that's definitely something that when I watch your work, I I connect with a lot. Like, I think it has a very specific patina to it that stems from, you know, um, maybe some anxiety and, and personal neuroses, but also just kind of like this weird, like, let's get all our friends together and make something strange vibe, you know? And, and I... I th- I think, you know, that's kind of how this podcast started, too, because Andrew and I are into dumb shit and we're like, we should just make the thing that we wish existed that just doesn't. Well, and that's even in my crew in middle school. That's what we did. We we got together and started drawing uh, comic strips that then we would trade back and forth. And one guy would take one page and then hand it to the next buddy in the next class and they draw the next page. And it was all of us as this bedraggled superhero team and we all had superpowers kind of based on like what we were made fun of at school <laughs> so it was also art therapy but i i in middle school i acted in uh my middle school's production of the little mermaid but we couldn't get the rights to the actual like disney the full disney musical but we could use pieces of it so for some reason like we could do part of your world and under the sea but i couldn't be named sebastian my character's name was clem crab (laughs) and uh and then i I thought man i'm gonna be the star of this show this is gonna make me cool to everyone because everyone's favorite song is under the sea and if i remember correctly i did not do it with a jamaican accent um uh but it was still cringy nonetheless because they put me in this big like mascot uniform of a crab that made me look chubbier than i even was in the fifth grade and then my head poked out and they painted that red and i looked like a living nightmare so my character in the born losers comic book was some kind of crab man um that was tired of being made fun of for being half crab half human <laughs> That's so weird that you could do, like, of all the things, you could do the songs. You could because do the songs and not like, represent the characters. Yeah. That's so weird because that's specifically, like, the Disney original thing. Like, you know, the the grim, the grim fairy tale is, like, public domain. And then the songs are specifically Disney. Isn't that weird? The whole play was this hybrid, this piecemealed project that had some Disney assets and elements and then others that were just like who the fuck came up with this like it might have been my drama teacher rewriting things to avoid whatever licensing issues i don't know it was insane i love the idea though of of having a a click of friends to make stuff with because like i did the same thing when i was you know a younger person i but i mine was more solitary like i made movies with my with my siblings but uh you know i i am a comic book artist and writer. I'm currently the writer on Star Trek for IDW and I've got a book coming out from Simon and Schuster next year. And so I've like developed that skill set over time and really honed it. And it's like my passion, right? But as a kid, 
that's all I wanted. Like as a kid, I just wanted somebody to be like, yeah, and then we could do this and then we could do this. And, and you know, small town Arizona, that shit ain't happening. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. I mean, I remember the turning point where I thought, uh, cause for me, it also evolved into eventually making videos and, and films with my friends. And there was this era where we were kind of all in, I thought kind of at the same level of commitment. And I remember uh, at some point trying to shoot like an entire feature on a mini DV camera at the movie theater where we, we, we all worked. And I just remember my friends starting to, you know, drop like flies and not show up to shoot after hours uh, or be there and then bail to go home or they had to leave for a family vacation. And then slowly over time, it just it it became only me that wanted to keep that thing going. And then that's why I you know moved to L.A. Um, but I could see it wearing thin on on my friends, whereas I thought we were kind of all in it together and it still wears thin on some people in my life so that didn't didn't completely go away yeah i think i think that that resonates very deeply for dave and i um whatever the slight differences in in childhoods or whatever that is a that is a very specifically familiar story uh that we've talked about on this on this podcast before We've, we've discussed this very topic on previous episodes uh of this idea of getting into these really big creative endeavors where you are the only one holding it together. It's like this weird thing where, you know, you, like, like you said, you, at first you kind of think that everyone's on the same page and then slowly you start realizing that like, Oh no, like if I wasn't really pushing this, like nobody else would do this. This thing would just end. And at first you don't mind it. And then it starts to, get, it starts to wear on you because number one, you're just exhausted from being the only person that's, really fighting for this thing to happen. And also, you know, uh, you know, as somebody who, you know, maybe struggled with, you know, being a little bit of a loner or being a little bit lonely, as I think maybe not just the three of us, but tons of people have experienced that. I have the same experiences from when I was a kid. Like my my best friends when I was a kid were Kevin Arnold, Alex P. Keaton, <laughs> Mike Seaver and Richie Cunningham. Those are very specific names. I wow, I can't I can't remember any of the friends that I had from middle school's names. I just remember them as like that kid Casey. Man, that's I'm well. They're, they're they're also all fictional characters. What? <laughs> no. I'd love it if they weren't though. And you had <laughs> your friends were all named after. Just happenstance named after 80s sitcom. I was characters. really popular and I, and like I went to like a weird like yeah. school, like a, a school of the performing arts where all the kids were just named after like sitcom characters because their parents were all like weird hippies. Yeah, I used to have I used to have fantasies about Alf like being in my house. It, it was like something I wanted so bad. I was like, that would be the coolest fucking thing of all time. And I just remember like thinking, can I manifest that? Could I just wake up and there an elf would be there to hang out with me? I mean, you say that, but Andrew and I live with like a demonic puppet from space hell. And trust me, it's not that good. It's not that great. I feel so much the same way that I actually manifested really living with a weird, rude alien. But yeah, so, but, the, but the other part of it, in addition to just being exhausted by having to do it all yourself is like, you want that camaraderie, like you, like the whole point of it. You're just like, I'm trying to do some cool stuff with my friends and I want to like, I, I'm, I'm trying to live out these fantasies of like, you know, Monster Squad and these movies that I watched growing up where it's a bunch of friends just like 
toughing it out together and then they slowly lose interest in you and then that, that's hard to deal with because you're like oh these they don't care about this as much as i do so it really i'm at the end of the day i'm just alone again uh it, it, it's a it's it's a mental exhaustion as well as like an emotional exhaustion yeah and it, it you know at least speaking for myself it definitely caused me to um not put the people first like there was this there was this time when i think it was innocent and it was exactly that it was like well i just want my monster squad which is what all of you want right that's what we entered into but then it did for me start to get um invasive and you know i started to get to a place where i was like well, what do you mean we can't film at your house like did you tell your parents how important this is and they're like yeah uh and my dad gets up at 3 30 a.m every day for work you know like i started to not understand why everyone wasn't down to make room for my dream and partially it was because i thought it was all of our dream but I, then i think there was a selfish part that was like uh, everybody should be making this happen with me um, and the weird thing is, I mean, gosh, even, even when you get to LA, cause I just thought like, I just want to be in LA where everybody wants to do it. Um, it's still difficult. Even if you're, even if you're on a job where everyone's getting paid, it's difficult to, to make everyone care. And, you know, it seems like something a lot of us will be chasing for a long time. Just the idea that everyone could be excited and locked in on the same goal um, you know, it's rare. It's rare even out here. People are often like, Ugh, when are we going? Can I get a fucking another one of these? I don't even like horror movies, you know, wanting to just get on to the next thing. Andrew Bowser attended the School of Visual Arts, majoring in film. After his first year in college, he decided to shoot a feature film at the movie theater that he worked at. He found an editing student to agree to edit the film. Only after a few months of waiting, uh, not a not, nothing happened. This piece of shit didn't do anything. Didn't didn't fucking turn in that assembly cut. So Bowser, uh, what what happened next? And what, what's that? What's that story kind of? Well, I know going into film school when when I attended film school, I don't know how how old everybody is here or how old your listeners are, but we were cutting on film. I learned to cut on film, and um, I think it was somewhere over the course of my first year we we started cutting. Um, in Final Cut Pro. And so I think I actually shot that feature the summer after my freshman year. It was freshman year. We kind of went from film into uh, nonlinear editing. And then it was that summer I shot the feature at the movie theater. And then going into my sophomore year had these hard drives of footage. And my first thought was, well, I'm not an editing major. I was a directing major. So uh, let me find an editing student um, because I'm just now, I'm just still getting used to like Final Cut. Um, didn't even have a computer that I could cut something like that on. Didn't own a computer at the time that you could run Final Cut on. And so I linked up with an editing student and similar scenario. I guess I thought, um, you know, maybe again, selfishly so or egotistically so that, that I, who, what sophomore editing student wouldn't want the shot at editing a feature. Even if it was shit, we could at least be figuring out structure together and looking at the coverage and understand, oh, wow, I guess we did need an establishing shot. Oh, I wanted to play all that in closes, but well, I've got a medium we could go to and just kind of learn together. And he seemed into it at first, but he was a kid that already had like stuff happening. Even as a sophomore, he was like cutting promos for MTV. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I got, I got kind of wind early on that maybe this wasn't going to be priority, but I check in on him and he was like, yeah, I got a couple scenes put together. I'll let you know when I've got more. 
And eventually it was just months. And I was like, look, dude, can I come over and see anything? And I came over and sat with him. And I mean, holy hell. Now, as an editor, I know it's stuff he could have cut in a night. I mean, what he had to show me was nothing. Not for months having passed, you know? And here in my mind, this movie was coming together, like off camera somewhere, out of my immediate purview, but it was happening. And to go to his apartment and to walk up, I think it was like a six-story walk up. And I'm walking up to get to go and view what he has and to sit there and see nothing. And just to feel that pit in my stomach of months being wasted that I thought was actually, you know, my movie coalescing. I just, I in that moment, I didn't even have to have the thought. It was, I just will never feel that way again. I will never put myself in a situation like that again, where something was that out of my control that was still tethered to a goal that I wanted so much. And I, it, it, it's almost, you know, it, it, it is intentional, but it's also a little unintentional that that's what I've, just evolved into almost, I mean, I, arguably so to my detriment. I've kind of made myself an island that I think has limited people even maybe thinking I need help or would want to collaborate because I have become so obsessed with doing everything. But it was born out of feeling, you know, kind of, this is too strong of a word, but abandoned or at least like set aside. So I just started doing everything myself. And I was like, that's it. I shot a music video like, to win a contest to get a computer so that I could edit on my own. You know, I, uh, started like, I started shooting videos for my church so that I could use their camera. Like I just started moving in ways that would make me more and more autonomous. And it was born out of that six story walk up to Jesse's apartment, you know, where he had nothing to show me. That story hurt so bad. Fuck you, Jesse. Yeah, Fuck I, you, Jesse. I haven't checked in on him, but he's, I bet you he's incredibly successful. I should check in on him because he was such like a, I think he also knew, and this is, this is a glimpse in a, into my psyche. He, I don't think he was purposefully insulting me, but it made me feel devalued. It made me, made me think, oh, you don't think my movie's going to be anything? What do you think? You think I'm not a good creator? You think I have nothing to say? You know, I took that as such a judgment, whereas this kid, Jesse was probably like, no, man, it's not that deep, Bowser. I just, I just had MTV jobs, but I took it as such a judgment. Um, but he was definitely like a hustler. He was a kid that was going to get work and find work. And I bet you he's rich somewhere. All three of us have a Jesse that is our origin story. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, literally, that's the reason why Andrew and I met because I shot, I, I kind of did the same thing that you did where I, uh, or what you do where I, I, wrote directed and starred in a short that i shot at my friend's house we threw the big party at all these people come and they were extras in this party scene and and yeah I, so I, I made the whole thing it's like a seven minute short or something and the same thing happened the ed, it all fell apart in the editing stage and i was like i won't let that happen again i'm gonna find somebody who's actually gonna finish things with me um and that's how andrew and i met because the next short that I wrote and directed, I was like, I need somebody who knows After Effects like a motherfucker and is actually like stick to Like they, that's their main uh, thing. And that's how we met. And then um, I've been forcing him to hang out with me. <laughs> that's good. I mean, a partnership is so important. I feel like I've uh, kind of burned through partners, like not, not, not. 
not by doing anything other than, you know, maybe just obsessing over the work more than the, the partnership or the dynamic has been maybe I partner with somebody on a project that they think is going to pay off in a way that I can't guarantee. And, and I've lived through the projects not paying off enough times that like when I go into something, I, I'm, I'm an, a realist to a real like, uh, devastating degree. I mean, I go into stuff and I'm like, this is going to be good. I'll think it's good. Will other people think it's good? Maybe not. Will it lead to something? Maybe not. You know, I don't really set expectations anymore. I set them internally, but I don't. I don't try to like attract people based on promises of, you know, fame and fortune. But I think some people that have partnered with me over the years kind of think like, well, he, he, he does, he makes so much. Something's bound to pay off eventually. I'll get with him on this one. And then we live through a project together and they're fucking, you know, broken by the end of it. And I'm like, cool. So that went well onto the next one. And they're like, no, dude, not onto the next one. I'll be over here, you know, being a little more chilled out than you. And so, uh, I, all that to say, like finding a partner that is also like willing to work at the same, you know, clip a, a, as you is really important. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be something you really had to nail down when, cause you, you did like three features in the next four years, right? After, after school, you did mother of invention in 2009, uh, Jimmy Tupper versus the boat goat man of about buoy. That's the only that's the only one I haven't seen uh, in 2010 and then Worm in 2012. That's a that's a lot of work, my dude. I know. And I and, you know, I hate to sound like a bummer right away because those are accomplishments. And I want to accept that they're they are. I made those things and I accept them as being good things creatively. <laughs> but um, I wish I had what wound and this may get ahead too far in our discussion, but I, I did the mother of invention with a buddy of mine named Joe and we're still friends and he was awesome. And we were great partners and, uh, and are still friends. Um, I think our interests just diverge. I'm much, I'm much more into horror and, um, I am really obsessed with the idea of like, well, what can you make with nothing? Could we make a movie right here with this cane and this puppet? You know, um, the mother of invention and then immediately or pretty soon after made the goat man movie, which kind of tapped into something that I, uh, wanted to investigate further, which is, well, how much can I do on my own? That was really exciting. And I say that, but collaborators are always needed. It's not to demean the people that made that movie with me. Um, but you know, they're, they're yeah, you're, you're doing a lot if you're running the camera and you're on camera, et cetera. And then Worm came because of a, a deal that fell through that I had, I, I thought was close to a sure thing, even though I know out here, there is no such thing as a sure thing until obviously all the papers are signed. But then after Worm, I got my job at Nerdist and I just started thinking, well, maybe this is the way forward with like directing sketches and internet content, but maybe I'll get a pilot off the ground through Nerdist or a micro budget feature off the ground through Nerdist or Nerdist is owned by Legendary. Could I get upstreamed to meet with someone over there? And I just took my eyes off the like, can you just make an indie feature for next to no money? And also Worm really like kind of broke me in ways. Uh, it's just a lot of work. And, um, and that one, I think like the, whatever the, even though I just said, I try not to set expectations internally, my expectations for Worm, I think were greater than what wound up happening in regards to the film's reception. So that definitely knocked me down a few pegs. 
But having the job at Nerdist was like, yeah, but I got this. So I'm going to focus on this. And in hindsight, I wonder if I had rolled right into trying to make another no budget feature, um, you know, what would have come and maybe I'd be further along in the feature world than I am. And I think about that often, but then I think about the fact that at Nerdist, you got to direct a sketch every week. So you were doing music videos and commercial parodies and I was able to get some horror shorts going and I, and that's where I kind of explored Onyx on a greater level. So, you know, I'm sure I, I still learned a lot from doing that, but I do question if I should have tried to roll into another, you know, micro budget feature instead of focusing on the internet content. Yeah. I, I just want to drill down into two things that you said. One, the, the kind of balancing act of being a self-reliant kind of do-it-yourself person while also the necessities of being a real person and having a job and paying rent and all of those things like that's I think that's the conundrum that everybody that is a creative person struggles with I know I do you know Andrew and I both work in digital media and it's yeah I yeah mm -hmm, 100% it's hard to look a gift horse in the mouth and be like well, I'll be over here spending money I don't have on a film. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the I've I've struggled with those exact feelings that you that you just talked about, um, and and I think definitely Dave as well. But you know, in a similar way, I I moved out to L.A. to to get into screenwriting and making movies, and then I sort of accidentally, really quickly, fell into working in new media and and social media content, and then that just became this whole career that, uh, you know, it's funny because it's on one hand, I've struggled with those same feelings where I'm like, man, like this, this has dominated most of my time for years. And I, and it's like, I'm, I'm becoming more and more successful at this, but it's like taking me down a different path. And like, what, what, what would have happened if instead of just taking this path, I, you know, which, which has been this very stable, secure, you know, uh, career, career path where I've had a job. I, I was very lucky, lucky to move out to LA, immediately get a real job and consistently stayed employed for the last eight years. But what if, what would have happened if I had just like stayed poor and, you know, tried to make more movies or, or, or whatever? If maybe I was more down a different path that maybe was more in line with what I was thinking. Uh, I, I should, I wanted to do. Um, and it, and it's, it's really, it's really hard. It's like, it's, it's really hard to struggle with those th feelings. It's like, it's like you, you kind of feel like maybe you missed an opportunity, but at the same time, you're like, man, if I, you, you look around at some of your friends and some of your, some of the other people that are trying to make it in this city. And you're like, if I hadn't gotten this job, like I would be screwed. Like, uh, I like, well, yeah, I mean, I was shooting wedding videos prior to the Nerdist job, and that was my full time. Like, I was a casting editor for reality TV when I first moved to L.A., um, and that was like the trade that just kept me alive and gave, you know, made me able to pay rent. And then um, but then shooting wedding videos is what really became my full time gig. And I really don't like I kind of liked shooting wedding videos. I liked the people and I liked interacting with people on a human level and being a part of a special moment for them. But it did get to a point where the shooting of the weddings and the editing of the weddings was, you know, tedious and, you know, not fulfilling on a creative level. And yeah, I wouldn't want to go back to shooting weddings by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, 
you can only take you can only take the steps forward that like you can see enough of the illuminated path to step forward with any confidence and the other the other route who knows if I, if I had chosen to do a film after worm maybe it would have gone horribly and I would have lost more money than I had lost up to that point and would have missed the nerdist job that gave me a lot of experience yeah yeah I mean especially I've heard you talk about so just anybody who hasn't seen worm uh, it's on your YouTube channel. They should definitely watch it. It's great. It's a two-hour feature where it's all one take. The movie's technically two takes, but it's one giant take where the camera. It's basically a like a a, a neo noir story about a, a down on his luck uh, kind of anti hero, and the whole movie is shot with a camera strapped to the protagonist's chest. So. It's about it's basically almost like one giant chase sequence of this guy trying to get away from all these forces in this small town who have all these kind of machinations against him. Um, it's really visually cool because it, it focuses so much on the protagonist's performance, which Andrew Bowser plays. And also the the I don't know why I keep calling you by your whole full, your full fucking name. You can't have a name like that and not say the whole thing every time. Yeah. So it, it focuses all on Bowser's. It's it's simultaneously his performance, and then also you're looking over his shoulders at the like in relief perspective of what's behind him or what's around him, and it's really it's a very interesting and well choreographed feature. And uh, if you're into crime stuff, you should go check it out. But the the thing that's so fascinating to me is that that DIY, highly specific experiential piece of work came from. A Cartoon Network deal falling apart, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was a, a deal that, that me and my friend Joe, who had written The Mother Invention, Joe wrote The Mother Invention and then we co-directed it. And he technically created the character of Vincent Dooley that I play in The Mother Invention. And then I kind of like went on to do Vincent and sketches and stuff like with Joe's um, approval. But uh, we had written a pilot. I, I forget how we even got connected it might have been some of the Vincent Dooley stuff from The Mother of Invention because some of those clips went viral because I had shot something that was like Vincent Dooley's audition tape to be in The Mother of Invention. But what it actually was was me showing Joe, hey, I came up with a voice for the character. But we framed it like an audition. And when I sent it to him, uh, I sent it to, I made it the night after we watched Kingdom uh, of the Crystal Skull. We'd gone to like a 1 a.m. showing at the Arclight and I got back and the sun was coming up and I was like, I'm going to make that audition tape for Joe to look at. And then it wound up getting some traction on like E-Bombs World and Attack of the Show showed it on G4. And I think that's what got us in meetings around town. And we pitched a show called The Sidekick Diaries to a couple different places and one was Cartoon Network, but it was a live action pitch about a kid that kind of wins a Willy Wonka type contest to be the sidekick to his favorite superhero. Well, and that was when they were they were doing the whole see and real thing. They were like really yeah, pushing live action yeah, programs. That was exactly. They were like, we're moving into live action. And and the head of programming literally yesterday said, I want like a kick ass, but for kids. And then you guys walk in here with the sidekick diaries. This is meant to be. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I know, again, like we said, nothing's meant, no, nothing's a sure thing until the ink is dry. But the language around this project was like, just, it was like destiny. I mean, the, the, the head of development was like, you're making my job easy because my boss just asked for a kick ass for kids. And here this is. And then we'd hear it's on the top of the pile for the next live action pilot to go. And he was telling me, 
because I was going to be able to audition for the lead role. I wouldn't necessarily play it, but I was going to play like a Sean White style, like s- extreme sports guy. The superhero was our twist was that he was kind of an extreme sports athlete, you know, Bruce Wayne type secretly had all these gadgets and like snowboards that had rockets on them and shit. And I was going to like lose weight and actually try to like get in shape and audition. And I was doing it and we'd get word from Cartoon Network weekly, like, this is looking better and better every day, guys. And then we found out that one of their live action productions went over budget by a lot. And it just, it shook them to where they backed off of doing live action production. They were like, this just isn't our, our bag. We, we can't figure it out. We just went over budget by like 30 million on a kid's sketch comedy show. Like we're fucked. We're, we're canning everything live action that's in the hopper. I bet it was and, that uh, son of a bitch, Andrew W.K., No, I'll tell you. No, I'll tell you. It was Nick Cannon. It was, it was, I talked to like a, a a DP or a set designer at a party once. And he was like, and it was while all this was happening. And it was before I'd gotten the, the no from Cartoon Network. And I was just making small talk with this guy at a party. And he was like, I'm shooting this fucking Nick Cannon show right now. I'll tell you what, it's going to fucking kill that network. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And he was like, he's fucking over budget by 10 million an episode. He's fucking taking advantage of them because they don't do live action. So he's like acting like it's his fucking dream project, his passion project, doing whatever the fuck he wants. And I was like, huh. And then like two weeks later, we get the email that's like, we're canning live action. And I was like, Nick Cannon. (laughs) We're canning live action. But so I hadn't rested on my laurels, but I definitely had stopped thinking, well, what can I shoot for no money? What can I write with no assistance and what can I create with little resource? I was like, I need to focus on getting in shape so I can audition for my own show and hopefully book it. And like, we had a really, really funny pilot and we liked the idea of making something for kids. Um, and so then to get that, never mind, it's not moving forward, it's dead in the water. I was just like, I, I, I can't believe I gave so many months to that. I felt like walking out of Jesse's apartment again. And so I just started to think, what can I do alone (laughs) that I don't have to get anyone's, you know, uh, approval to move on? And then I just had this idea about Snoricam came first, the idea of doing a feature with a Snoricam where the camera's facing the actor. And then it just started to get built out from there. And I was really excited by, because I don't, I didn't want it to be gimmick for gimmick's sake, even though some people criticize it for being gimmick for gimmick's sake which i would like fucking gladly you know face to face dispute that but um uh i wanted there to be a reason well if you're looking this way it's got to be about just thematically what's behind him you know and literally what's behind him so then i was like well so it's a chase movie so it's about someone trying to get away with something and i was going to base it in la and have it be about you know someone that was framed and had to like get across town kind of like a run lola run or something and then I uh, had a buddy named Ian um, who who has since passed away. But at the time, he was one of my like closest collaborators. And he was like, you know, Bows, if you shot this in Oklahoma, we could like own a, a town for like a week. It's There's so many small towns here that we could just go to the sheriff's department and be like, can we make a movie? And they'd be like, hell yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And my family's from Oklahoma and Arkansas on my mother's side. So I just started pulling stories from my cousins and uncles. And then I shaped it into more of like a Southern neo-noir thing instead of like a race across town in LA. Um, and then started building out the blocking to make more sense of 
you know, Worm can't see what's behind him, but you can as the audience. So can you give the audience information that he doesn't have and vice versa? Can he experience like revelations that the audience doesn't get until he turns around or a voice is heard and blah, 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 and started kind of building it out from there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I, I really dug the movie. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised that it doesn't have a bigger life. Like, I'm kind of, yeah. Did you, were, were the, cause it screened it. Where did it screen? I think I read a Seattle Film Festival, maybe, or Seattle. No, so that that was um I mean to be honest it's one of the bigger disappointments out of the stuff I have gotten off the ground that worm didn't lead to more just because I thought it was I know it's not perfect technically um I know it's not perfect on any level but I do think the effort that's there and the effort to like explore a new way of of telling a story especially using a new medium like the GoPro it was the first feature shot on a GoPro you know, that trivia doesn't live anywhere except for me saying it. But um, uh, I thought it would just kind of like, I thought it would insist on itself. I thought it would like take up space um, just, you know, almost preternaturally, which probably is, you know, egotistic of me to think. But I just thought the effort would be such a statement and that my heart was actually in the right place. I really wanted to do, I wanted to tell a story in a new way. I didn't expect to get, a claim for strapping a camera to my chest if there wasn't any, you know, real heart and any real meat there. But I actually thought there was a good story and there were good characters and, and it actually said something and did something. It wasn't just a gimmick. So I think because of that, yeah, I guess I, to be completely transparent, I thought there'd be more of a response. And the biggest bummer was that I was at South by in 2010 with the Goatman film, which was a fucking, I mean, that movie cost $400, literally, not like 400 <laughs> And then someone gave me a bunch of money, you know, and the story is 400 That's 400 bucks. It was the mini DV tapes. I had to buy a fake cast for myself. I had to build some prosthetics with a buddy. And I had to pay off some people to let me use their house to throw a party for a scene. But that got into South By. And then three years later, I submit Worm. And I thought, I think we really have a shot because I'm an alumni. And I even did the thing of, you know, I can be accused of not being social. Like I, I, my thing is, well, I'll be here making something, you know, let me know if you want to talk. And that's not how Hollywood operates. It's not how the world operates, but I was very, I tried to be social. I went to the South by like alumni drinks they'd have at the pig and whistle. Uh, and, and, and like did that consistently, you know, I tried to be political and then I, and then I entered worm and it was rejected from South by. And I, I wrote them an email. I, I like read it out loud 10 times. I was like, don't sound vindictive. Don't sound weird, but ask them, can you give me any insight into why this didn't work for your programming this year? And they actually told me they felt like it was hollow and that it was just a gimmick. And that was like, 
I mean, I guess I'd rather have an answer, but man, it fucking bummed me out to get an answer that I so strongly disagree with. And that when people then did see the movie at Seattle International or a, a, a Dead Center in Oklahoma, which is a really cool fest, or Tallgrass in Kansas was another one that we played. The response was always, you know what I love about the movie? You think it's going to be just gimmick and and hollow, but it's not. Like that was the general consensus. And I even had like a filmmaker, uh, um, Destin, uh, uh, Creighton, the director of short term 12, uh, saw it at Seattle and was like, God damn, dude. I walked into this thinking, fuck, here we go. I acted in it. I starred in it. I wrote it. I directed. I wear the camera. Look at me. He's like, and then I sat and watched it and I was like, Oh, fuck. It's actually just a really good movie though. Fuck this guy. So like it. <laughs> That really, if you can't tell, was, you know, obviously still like, uh, you know, thorn in my paw. And I do think if it had gotten into South by, maybe it would have maybe elevated things for me at that time. But alas. It's really brutal how those just like ships in the night things happen. Like I, I, I have been both the recipient of the positive versions of that, where it's just like, you know, you're at a convention and the right person walks by and they see the thing and they shake your hand and now you're off to another level. And I've been the reverse where I've come back from the table and somebody's been like, you know, who was just here, you know, where you're like, mm, it stings, baby. It's yeah. And I try to make sense of it in, in a really like cosmic way, which is damaging. You know, I try to be like, well, it's because I did something wrong or it's because I did I not have enough drinks at that at that at that uh, soiree? Did I not? And it's just like, you know what, dude, who the fuck knows me? <laughs> there's, maybe there's, when I uh, uh, there, well, maybe actually I shouldn't tell this story until things are said and done. But something happened recently where I got a rejection from something and I just reached out and I was like, what's up? Just wanted to, you know, again, I was like, did I, was there anything that the film could be to better suit your programming? Because the festival feels like it's tailor made for this. And they responded, we actually don't know why your film was rejected. Uh, We'd love to screen it at the festival. And I'm like, (laughs) oh fuck. So it can just be that. It can literally could have just been, you know, an intern being like, fuck, skip. I'm behind 10 movies. You know, I don't feel like screening this skip. You never know. So you just can't apply much value to any of it. It's you. all you can do is be like, all right, well, fuck it. I, I guess I'll just keep making stuff. Which leads us perfectly into, you know, I feel like both the fuck it, just keep making stuff mindset is kind of the ethos behind Onyx in general. And also like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels like Onyx comes from all of this stuff in general of just like, you know, taking the found footage and cutting him into real footage and making it elevated in air quotes. But I don't want to I don't want to speak for you. Uh, Where did the idea for Onyx the Fortuitous come from? Well, the original idea just came from thinking of his what I guess would become his catchphrase, him just saying, I don't know. Uh, I had that idea first. I was taking improv classes years ago in LA and we weren't really doing much character stuff, but I was getting along with a lot of the people in my class and I wanted to shoot sketches with them. And simultaneously, I was shooting a lot of video packages for nerdy digital companies. That was my day job. So I'd be at E3 or I'd be at Comic-Con or WonderCon shooting man on the street stuff. So I had an idea that was like, what if there was a guy that was so insecure no matter what he said, he immediately backpedaled and and said, I don't know. Even if you asked him, what's your favorite movie? Fright Night? I don't know. 
Well, no, it's not. You do know it's Fright Night, but he's just so in his head that that would be the tick for him. And so I had to shoot at E3 for a, a company called Break Media or later Defy Media. And while I was there, I shot all the packages I needed to shoot. My producer was like, okay, man, we're good. If you want to you know, walk around the convention, feel free. And I was like, totally, totally. Went in the bathroom, changed into Onyx's clothes for the first time. My friend from improv showed up. I had a badge for her. And my friend Ian, the, the DP that recommended I shoot Worm in Oklahoma, shows up. And we shoot the first Onyx video. And we shot all the footage for that one, which was called Weird Gamer Guy. We didn't use any of the footage from Break or Defy that I had already shot because I knew I could get popped for that. So we shot a whole fake video package. We went around for another three hours and interviewed people about watchdogs or whatever the fuck was happening that year and then spliced it all together. And it really was, to your point, I didn't realize that it was on the same kind of wavelength as found footage and me finding, trying to find new ways to tell a story until I started making them. And then I realized, yeah, Onyx is kind of a heightening of that exploration and my work as an editor and all of those packages I've had to cut over the years you know, I know how to make them feel pretty seamless and blend in the the ambient sound and do the right, the right cheesy music tracks and even the fake titles like Welcome to Nerd Smash or whatever the fucking fake thing was. Like that was partially out of resentment for all the different nerd blank places I worked for. That's kind of my favorite part about it, though. Like your the, the later Onyx videos that kind of got bigger were where you're just literally cutting yourself into real into news the footage. News. Yeah, but but. I kind of love the earlier ones where you've created like fictional like shows like that. that I, I love that. There's like you made up like it, it. you were already like you you've already created a universe for this character because you have these like fake shows with these like fictional hosts. And then he's just like there in this world that I, I something about that just really I, I really like that a lot. Well, that's cool. I like that, too. That was part of why I liked making them, because I liked making the fake logos. And and we did one last year like that, which was good. And, and it and it got good exposure. Some of the news videos, you know, just didn't start getting the same kind of views. So I was like, oh, man, that sucks. But then we did one at an anime convention last year, or maybe it was almost two years ago now. And we did a fake. I forget what the anime attack, I think is what it was called. And it was a whole fake show. And that was fun to make this the mic flag and do all that bullshit yeah yeah where you're that's that's the one where you're dressed as fucking what's his face from saitama yeah 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 from one punch man or not yeah 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 Yeah, one punch man yeah but yeah onyx did become like this thing for me that as cheesy as it sounds i i have him and he's kind of Someone I can, it sound, now I'm realizing how crazy it is because I'm complaining about never having collaborators and burning people out. So instead I just created, I just manifested my own drop dead Fred to be my partner. But that's what he is. He's, he really is a partner for me. And nobody enjoys those videos more than I do. I like that he makes me laugh. Like I making TikToks of Onyx, um, is never hard because, or, you know, and it's not, I don't think like, oh, and now I'm making TikToks. It's like, no, it's making, it's making me laugh. It's making me laugh. And I try to just think that's the end all be all for Onyx is, you know, if he's making me laugh, then it's worth doing. And so he kind of became my like little, yeah. I don't know if this is how you feel about it. And maybe like you're talking about this, maybe you aren't this crazy though, but maybe you are. But there is a, there is a certain fictional character that I play in something that I that, that I don't want to be specific about 
And maybe it's because I edit it. Maybe it's because I'm, I play the character and then I edit the thing and I'm like with these people so often, but I genuinely, when I listen to the episodes, I genuinely think of that character as like a real separate person. And I like in my mind's eye, it's like when I was a kid watching cartoons where I thought the characters were real and I just didn't fathom that there was like, they were just drawings on a paper. Like, I really do think like, I really think of this character as like a real person that I, that I talk to. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I, I even direct him as, as if he's a separate entity and I criticize him as if he's a separate entity. When I sit and edit and I look at the footage, well, first of all, I can't like stay in the Onyx costume while I edit. Cause as I'm editing, I'm Bowser and I feel weird sitting there. Like I feel like, well, no, I, I'm, I need to inhabit Onyx if I'm wearing his rings and his fedora. So I, I like, even if I'm going to come back and shoot something with him in 10 minutes, I like take off the clothes. I sit and I edit. And then I put back on the clothes to shoot something and I'll criticize him. I'll be like, oh, wow, good take. Did you want to look off camera like that? You know, and, and slow things down. Great job, Onyx. Why don't we fucking do it faster? Yeah, I talk to him like it's uh, it's in the third person. And I talk to him. <laughs> I thought it was healthy. And I in therapy, I talk about Onyx quite a bit. And my therapist, she's actually kind of gotten to the point where she's asked me to stop saying him and he. She's like, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, well yes but and she's like well it's you andrew and i'm like yeah but it's not it's onyx and he's really got to get his shit together (laughs) you know i'll talk about him about this feature this kickstarter i'm like if he can't get the money to make this movie what are we going to do with him and uh she kind of wants me to stop talking about him that way the fictional character i'm talking about of course is is dave yeah, obviously. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually pictured shooting behind the scenes footage if we do get to make this feature. I was like, man, it'd be so cool to have behind the scenes footage of it. And I pictured two people in the frame. I pictured Bowser directing Onyx. I'm like, man, it's gonna be so fun. And then I was like, oh, sh- dear. <laughs> That's <laughs> like next level to actually think that there will be two bodies on the day. I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about like when you realized... Like, I'm curious when that separation happens and I'm curious or happened and I'm curious when you realized like, cause you, you know, the, the kind of arc of those videos is like, there's the gamer guy one and then there's weird Satanist guy and then the weird Arby's guy. And like, you know, you, you had a real knack for recognizing a formula, breaking it down into its components, even down to like the writing of the various sketches where, you know, um, the I don't knows come at very specific places Every every episode in air quotes, every short ends with him with, you know, ba- uh, I almost said Bowser, but it's Onyx, I guess. You know, it, Onyx s- says, you know, he, there's, he has this long diatribe that ends with a very awkward pregnant pause. And then he goes, I don't know, something is cool. And then, you know, like they all, there's a very pleasing, almost sitcom-esque rhythm to all those videos. And I'm curious, like, did that almost, because all of those things are basically there in the the initial video um from e3 was that something where you were like you tried tinkering with it some and then it didn't work as well and you're like now we gotta this is the formula or like how did that come about i you know i think it came about it's so weird because it looks very intentional if you look at the run of videos but 
the first time around with Weird Gamer Guy, first of all, they are always very scripted. So like all that stuff is dialed in, even like when you break away from Onyx and when it's back to him and all that stuff. And then I record it ahead of time just as like an audio message and see how it all times out or whatever. But um, but so the first one with Weird Gamer Guy, it just felt like that was the format I wanted for that sketch. I was like, oh, it should just be we see this guy. He seems a little weird. Then we go on to other people. Then we're back and he's a little weirder and he's taking up more space. But then the next time we're back, he's like taking up a 45 second diatribe chunk. And then it just ends with him kind of backpedaling. And I th- the I'm only now realizing this as you asked the question. I think the blank is pretty cool came after the fact that. Once we'd shot that first package and one of the questions was, what are you looking forward to? And everybody was like, watchdogs. Everybody was saying watchdogs. And that was kind of the basic answer. I said it. I, I don't even know if that would have been in the script. Maybe. But it seems like I said it because it was Onyx trying to uh, all of a sudden sound as normal as everybody else that she just talked to. So even though he just talked about, I don't know, probably masturbating and getting drunk off of tiny wines, in the end, he just wanted to like fit the formula for her and just said, oh, I don't know, Watchdogs is pretty cool. But then when I said that on the day, I thought, I wish there was a better button. I like the idea of him saying something's pretty cool, but Watchdogs, that's like a, that's not evergreen. That, that can't be like, you know, catchphrasey. So it was somewhere in there that I would do it again. But then it took that video, it sat on the internet for a year and didn't get any popularity. And I purposely floated it like it was real. I put it on a fake channel called Game Smash and it just sat there. And I was like, all right, well, that was a fucking failure and a half. And then a year, like to the date, E3 the next year, it started getting popular on Reddit. And then the next thing I know, people in my office at Nerdist were like, have you seen your Weird Gamer Guy video? It's like everywhere. And then I had a friend at Nerdist, my friend Jason, and he was like, what are you doing with that character? Is that like a character you do? And I had shot one other video called Weird Comic-Con Guy, but it wasn't really Onyx. It was a fucking weird, like, Brundle Fly, kind of not quite fully what what he was meant to be. Because I don't think I got... This is a character. This I just thought, well, here's one example of me being anxious and weird. Um, because most of my sketches were me being anxious and weird. But when my friend Jason came to me and said, you got to do another video with that guy. Um, I had found this clip of the Satanic Temple protests uh, for my podcast that I did. A, a, a spooky podcast called Bizarre States. I was going to talk about this Satanic video that week on the show. And I thought... Wow, I don't have time to go and shoot a new package out at a convention. But as an editor, I, I looked at that Satanic Temple video and just even just down to like, well, the lower thirds, they're not, there's no transparency to them. So you could just roto them out and they're just stickers that you could plaster across new footage. A lot of lower thirds have some kind of like transparent gradient. So you'd know, oh, the background is a different person or a different environment than what I'm filming. But I looked at that satanic video and just was like, oh, fuck, I could go out there and just shoot in Burbank and match that. And my buddy Jason was like, let's like do it tonight. And the format came, I think, from me being rushed. I didn't have time to think of a new structure. It was like, okay, if if we're going to shoot this tonight, the quickest way forward is for me to just map it to the first video. And so I mapped it to Weird Gamer Guy out of a necessity because we were going to shoot it that night. And then it became the format from there. And saying Satan's pretty cool 
all of a sudden did, I was like, oh, that's like the button I wished I had for the gamer guy one. Like, it's just a little, it says more about his character and it felt a little more true to his character. And then from that point on with the news videos, it just, it's just always felt best to just make it. Yeah. Iterative or whatever, and just kind of continue mapping like that. But I, but, but from those videos is when I started feeling, okay, he's got a life. I can see his backstory. These things that were just jokes, like him being drunk in the basement because he's alone. I don't like those just being jokes. I want to make that real and lived in. And so then the more we did them, I tried to explore what he could be and in a, you know, more narrative context. And Onyx survived much longer than any of those people's enthusiasm for watchdogs. <laughs> it's totally true. <laughs> I watched that video and I'm like, God, it was watchdogs that year that everyone is so fucking stoked for. Yeah. How, how many videos are in, are in the initial, whatever you would term as the initial run of videos? Like where, where do you mark the era? Uh, it's, it's difficult because when one wouldn't do well, I'd be like, uh, I tend to just take things down to zero. And I'm like, fuck you, Onyx. You fucking, it didn't work. You Nobody cared the fifth or sixth time. But then the weird thing is, then like number eight and nine will do incredibly well. Like, I definitely consider weird gamer guy, weird Satanist guy, weird Arby's guy are kind of like the, the you know, triumvirate of, I think, the most recognizable videos with him. But I really like weird furry guy, which a lot of people don't talk about and haven't seen. Um... I did one that was like weird masquerade guy. And that was like at a actual event. And we did a fake show called like nerds after dark. I thought that was funny because he was dressed like Phantom of the Opera. Um, but I really liked the recent ones of weird anime guy and <laughs> weird. It sounds so stupid talking about these titles, but the second Arby's one. Oh, the, the skirt, the Arby's boys roll out skirt, skirt. Yeah, because I've been like wanting to do another Arby's one for a long time and I wanted it to have other actors in it to kind of sell it even more. And, uh, and it's actually better that it happened five years after the initial one or whatever or six years. Cause it's kind of like, God, that guy's still fucking working at an Arby's. <laughs> um, and that, and then that one did, did really well and, uh, got shared a lot. So I was like, well, that's cool. It kind of swung back around. Um, so I have a soft spot. I really have a soft spot for weird Arby's guys too, or, or, or we them Arby's boys, because it also like has a quote from a story that happened to me, which was, a friend of mine saying wheels up like uh, there was a f he was getting into a fight at a bar and none of us were involved. And and it was just him being drunk and messing with the wrong people. But we were all there as like a crew. We were shooting something in town. I think this was in Seattle. And and uh, and he got upset at one point and he turned to all of us and he was like, boys, wheels up. And I was like. We're all still chilling, drinking. We're not leaving with you just because you got into a weird fucking fight. So I, for years, I've wanted to have some character say wheels up. Also, one time I met uh, Charlie Hunnam in the parking lot of a 24-hour fitness. And no joke, he was there with like three other actors from Sons of Anarchy. And when they left on their motorcycles, Charlie Hunnam yelled out wheels up. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. I was like, I have to fucking put wheels up in a fucking video. So that's another reason why I like that video. <laughs> uh, I, I love 
all of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you know, from here, there's kind of is, you know, you're, you're in the rhythm, you're making these videos, you know, they're habitually kind of going viral. You're, you're then the character develops this kind of online following. I didn't know it was fake originally. Like when they first started airing, I thought they were real thing, which in hindsight, like, I don't know how I thought that shit was real, but at the time I re- I was just like, oh, this guy's fucking, he's a weirdo. And I remember, I don't remember when I actually noticed that you were working at Nerdist, but I remember seeing the video and then years later seeing that you were on a show on Nerdist and being like, wow, the Nerdist guys hired that crazy artist kid? <laughs> right, yeah, That's yeah. That's so fucking strange. Dave, two two things about that, though. I really, th- this that's not that crazy for you to think because well first of all i kind of all always knew that it wasn't real because i've been working in social media for eight years so i kind of just have like a nose for like smelling like fake stuff uh and also i'm an editor so i was like oh yeah like you can tell that this footage is like somewhere else but dave whenever i was working at whenever i was working at super deluxe this guy uh who was kind of basically a real life, not fake Onyx, Onyx the Fortuitous, just a really weird dude. He s- set up a live stream because at Super Deluxe, the big thing we did was we did live stream. We were, we were like the biggest live streamers for a couple years there. And he st- he started a live stream on Facebook and it was a live stream of his own birthday party that was just him by himself celebrating his own birthday. <laughs> in his house and he live streamed it and he said for my birthday all i want is a job at super deluxe and he tagged super deluxe and it, it was like this weird in office meme thing where somebody f- saw it and they shared it in the slack and then that whole day he was doing it like a 24-hour stream and we were just watching this stream and then people were like he had a phone number so people were calling him as characters that super deluxe did like super deluxe had this devil character so like that guy that devil character called and talked to him and and he, he was literally just this weird dude and so this whole thing happened and i was like obviously they're not going to hire this guy because he's genuinely a strange person that I feel like is maybe has several red flags of shouldn't be hired, but they actually did hire him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then he immediately after like a couple months got let go because he was a weird dude. And I feel like he did something weird and they fired him. Yeah. It makes sense. I know you could see a company like folding in uh, an Onyx type to maybe like produce that kind of weird content in house or, you know, maybe lightning will strike twice. Yeah, it's possible. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, welcome to the Wino season two zone. Enter the shadow zone took Onyx and the previously established characters like Masha and Marty's meat hut and Todd, his stepfather to fleshed out fully developed characters. So I guess let's, I'm curious, like 
you're making these videos on the side at Nerdist. You're making this content for Nerdist separately, all these kind of like viral videos and, 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 you know, general internet stuff. What were the initial conversations? Like, did they come to you and they were like, hey, we're doing alpha. Do you want to do a show or was it you going to them or? It was like a mix because the thing is there, uh, Onyx has always, like, I remember when the first, so when Gamer Guy happened and then we did Satanist Guy and then it popped off really quickly. I remember people at Nerdist, some were really congratulatory. They were like, dude, I'm getting one of, one of my friends at work was like, when did you go to Michigan? And I'm like, dude, we sh- I shot that in front of our office. But a lot of people were like, oh, this is really cool. We should give Bowser something with this character to do. But then there were people there that were just like, mm, no. And they even specifically somebody in our platform department was like, well, it's not going to happen again. Like he's, it's gone viral. It's not going to go viral again. You know, you're not going to like trick the internet that many times. But the thing that I always wanted people to understand and it's just, it goes back to the worm thing too. It's not just the gimmick of, is this real or not? My intentions, once I got in that skin, were to like give you a character you could really relate to and enjoy. And who cares if it's a film, a newscast or a proper show? Like I really felt like there was a an, an interior life to this guy. But a lot of people at Nerdist were like, no, it's a meme, which I always like, I, you know, I get so defensive around because especially because I grew up when like memes, memes being a meme or becoming a meme, that doesn't factor even into like my language at all. In my mind, it was always like Onyx could be Pee Wee or Onyx could be Ernest or whatever. But a lot of people at Nerdist just thought he was too weird or could be divisive because maybe he would, it would look like we were making fun of gamers or making fun of nerdy types that would be attracted to our other content and i'm like well just so you know i'm not making fun of anybody he's a character that's near and dear to me and if anything it's my middle school self like frozen in time and my intentions are not to hurt anyone's feelings so that's just not there like that's not in the fucking sauce but there were people that were like you know no it's just not gonna work for nerdist and then there was one or two that were like, we got to get you doing something with Onyx here. Like, I think it would be, be really, uh, be really fun and would go over well. So those people eventually kind of <clears throat> won out. And, and the fact that we, we were able to do it for so cheap is so many of us that worked on that web series were, you know, already salaried. And so we were making content. We were there and, uh, we still had to pump out sketches though. You know, we still had to pump out. It was kind of like, you can do welcome to the shadow zone, but you also got to get that star Wars parody out at the same time, or this, you know, uh, whatever the fuck other parody out at the same time. So it definitely was, it wasn't made with like a lot of love and support. It was made with some people being supportive, some people wondering why the higher ups are letting Bowser go and fuck around with his weird character that jokes about wanting to have sex with gadget hack wrench. Um, and then ultimately I just think the service that it went to, the service that it went to was built around one show. I mean, it was built around their D and D show critical role. So all of the attention to promote alpha was, was, was put into promoting critical role. You know, there was no, there was, no marketing around welcome to the shadow zone on a pay platform that Nerdist was launching. You know what I mean? Like it, it might as well just did uh, have not existed. Um, but while we were making it, I really found like that. I remember writing episode one and being like, Oh fuck. was I wrong about him having an interior life that's worth exploring. Cause I just had never written anything longer than the news videos. 
And uh, once I started incorporating other characters and taking those jokes from the old videos and making them real people, like, well, who is his stepdad that he says doesn't fucking, he doesn't get along with? You know, write him and write him based on one of your funny friends. Once I started bringing in other characters, I was like, okay, now I feel completely comfortable. And I get how Onyx talks to the camera when he's comfortable versus when he's put on the spot in the news situation or how Onyx could talk if he was feeling kind of full of himself, um, how Onyx would be nervous in front of a, a girl, etc. So once we started writing it, I felt good. I was like, okay. And by episode three, I, I was like, oh man, I could write a whole fucking, you know, real show with this guy or a movie with this guy. But then it just kind of went, you know, under the radar. And I had to convince them to like release it after a year. I was like, look, Alpha isn't la- going to last. Can we just pop Shadow Zone out onto YouTube? And then once it went to YouTube, it it did really well. It got like each episode kind of ha- has over 100,000 views, which for Nerdist, having never done anything scripted in comedy, not anything like long form like that or even like whatever you'd call that 15 minute long episodes. I thought it did really well. But, you know, it it, it was hard to it was hard to like. You, I'm sure you both know, being at a company, it's hard for anything, an employee that's there, that's kind of at their disposal, it's hard to really be seen as having any currency. Um, they'd sooner chase, you know, uh, a role-playing show with Freddie Prince Jr. than give Bowser more money to make an Onyx show. It's just not going to have value um, I- internally. It's like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. We don't need to fuck with that. Uh so they just didn't do any more, and then you know they folded Alpha. Yeah, especially with, especially it. within that bubble of the of that you know few years from like 2017 to 2018, uh, the the short form premium OTT subscription services that everybody spun up that everybody like, literally doing. nobody subscribed to because it's like you know. It, it sucks, but they really are only going to get subscribers if they say we have a show with Freddie Prince Jr. because nobody's going to pay money. Like if they saw, you know, Shadow Zone, you know, on on YouTube and it was something they could just watch for free, you know, with with ads or whatever, then they might love it. But they're not going to fork down five dollars a month to see this thing that they've never heard of. With, you know, and that's that's not the fault of you or your or the character at all. It's just like that whole that whole model was just flawed and didn't work at all i know you're right it didn't work across the board i mean everybody was doing it um college humor screen junkies like everybody was was doing that so i get it i get why they had to chase talent that would attract paid subscribers um but yeah it was just a bummer by the end of it but it gave me room to explore and and kind of mine the the backstory for onyx yeah, I mean, it, it really feels like over the course of those eight episodes that you, especially by the end, you can see all the tumblers like unlocking. And like, I really felt like you also balanced the, because like for the, if you haven't seen the show, it's kind of like a, I mean, how would you describe it? Like a late night show hosted, like it's a web show hosted by Onyx. Yeah, I guess it's like, it's like if he had a public access show, but nobody has those anymore. But right, it's like a show that he's putting on from his garage and then his, his personal life kind of intersects with what, what he's trying to do. And, you know, over the course of the show, it, I feel, I feel like you threaded the, the needles of like when to cut away to the various, in air quotes, segments or when to balance those characters. Like for me, the episode that really locks in is it episode three or four where where Todd says schwas? <laughs> yeah, it might be episode two, but yes, 
See, well, then I guess it locks in earlier because for me that that well, because, yeah, because on the YouTube stuff, there's like the actual episode one. And then there's like the pilot you guys shot where it's you interviewing Barbara Crampton. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, which I guess is technically the first one, but it's like really rough. Yeah, I I don't even. Yeah, I die every time. Every time he says schwas, I'm like, oh, oh, it's so good. And he was the one, that actor, Ryan Stanger, he was the one where when we were filming episode one or two, he was like, um, you know, make sure you let Onyx kind of win every once in a while. And I was like, what? He said, well, people want to see him not get beaten down for six episodes or eight episodes, have him win a little bit. And I was like, oh, I guess. And it just blew my mind because I think I'm so like self-flagellating that I just thought, no, Onyx is, uh, you know, a whipping boy. That's the point. He's there to be punished. But um, but even having Ryan say that to me, it made me then write the next few episodes different. And it made me make Todd become kind of a friend to Onyx by the end. Like it, it just it helped me reconfigure uh, something that I thought I was so certain of. And that definitely happens, yeah, by the end of those episodes. It's also interesting, like, I'm I'm curious about, like, the first couple, you know, even maybe the first half feel like, like, if you hadn't told me it was a Nerdist thing, I never would have known that. Like, they don't feel, they feel like it's a thing that you did in your house, you know, because it's literally shot in your garage, right? It's in my friend's garage, Jason, the co-director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in his garage. That stuff stayed in there for a long time. Yeah. And they did real, they, we had a, a production head at the time who was very hands off. And, um, and, and I think some people had an issue with that because I think he was letting jokes get through that maybe other people would have said, like, can you kind of censor those guys, calm them down a little bit? Because Nerdist was trying to be a little more far reaching in, in their, audience uh, and they also could never offend brands because you know they're also an editorial site that needs the invites to the marvel red carpets like so they still had to be a very friendly brand and then onyx you know the whole point is that there's there shouldn't be any rules there shouldn't be any guardrails because he's just supposed to be kind of animalistic and an emotional little tasmanian devil but our head of production allowed that which was really great yeah i mean i i really enjoyed I really enjoyed seeing the formulas that were established in the shorts kind of primordial ooze their way into narrative structures. And then, you know, fingers crossed this Kickstarter, you know, there's a the fingers crossed about the movie. That's and, and that's exactly the intention with the movie is that same kind of mentality where these nothing is ignored. It's all very much. Uh, leading to the next thing. And there's in, there's weird ways that even the original news videos kind of, uh, like you said, in a primordial ooze type of way have affected the DNA of the movie script too. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about when you... Because like for me, it's it's always hard for me to know. Like I'm such a... I'm such a cynic and pessimist in some regards and then such an optimist where I always believe that I'm going to come out on top or be able to push the thing through. So I'm curious about like what it was like, like when did you realize that there was no, not going to be a new season or like, you know, was that like a, Oh, this is over. I'm going to be done with the character. Like, no, I think, I think 
I kind of discovered too much that was exciting to me over the course of Welcome to the Shadow Zone, where I knew I'd continue to do the character even without Nerdist's backing, because I just was too excited about, yeah, what we had figured out about his world and about him on a deeper level. Um, but it, it, it was really clear after we delivered those episodes that soon after it was clear that Alpha wasn't going to continue and that there probably wasn't a way forward for like scripted content. But we had a whole uh, season two mapped out and a budget submitted. So I guess, yeah, I guess we did kind of, and my producer and co-director Jason was pretty upset that it didn't happen, as was I, but he had all that shit sitting in his garage. <laughs> so we were both pretty upset because we, yeah, we had mapped out a whole nother round um, so maybe we held on to hope for like maybe two months, three months, but then it just became clear that it wasn't happening. But, you know, then I pivoted into like writing a proper TV pilot and, um, and tried to still use some of the pieces from Shadow Zone to formulate that. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the pilot in a second, but I guess for, for the, I guess for the, for the, for the, just drilling down into what you said about how, like, you discovered so much about the character. Are you, is that you thinking almost kind of just literally like discovering his, you know, having this idea of who his father is and exploring the relationships? Or is, was it more kind of, uh, that's kind of when (laughs) the, the Bowser Onyx psyche separation happened? (laughs) Yeah, I think it, I think what it was, was at a certain point, I started to understand that Onyx was really important for me to continue to explore because of what he was, it sounds super cheesy, but what he was revealing about myself. I started to realize that he was an important reflection for me as an artist that um, I couldn't ignore because he was really unlocking some things. I mean, even down to like, why do I write? I write so much about his shame. I write so much about his relationship with his father and I take it to this heightened level, but there, there is stuff there with me personally and those issues. And so I think over the course of shadow zone, I got like, I can exercise some of these things. I can explore some of these things. I mean, that weird episode where, Almost any story that happens to Onyx did happen to me in a different way. Like the episode where the neighbor comes over and, and, and wants to, and invites him to a three way. Um, like I, there was an instance once where, where I was, I guess, invited to like a sex party some time ago and didn't realize it and also felt like somewhat kind of accosted by the person that was doing the inviting and uh was bothered by it and then retroactively confused by it and that's how the episode ends is onyx being like oh they were inviting me to a big old fuck party and he didn't realize it until it was over with but i realized that all these things that have affected me i could kind of put into him and so i just didn't want to give up that ex- exploratory process and and then also, not only personally, I started to realize that he could give me things that I'm excited by as a creator, as a filmmaker and a writer. Like, that's why I was never satisfied with the news format. And I'd always be pushing to do something longer with him. And that's why I eventually wrote the movie, because I kind of realized, and that TV pilot, I kind of realized, I think you could put him 
the big thing for me, and I know we can talk about this when we get there, but recently was, could Onyx actually give me a movie that I'm excited to do as a director? Like, um, to where it would have something to say about structure and character development and genre. Like, could Onyx get into a movie like that? Or would an Onyx movie always be like, no offense to a Wayne's World, because I love Wayne's World, but would an Onyx movie always just be like a sketch movie? It's just a string out of bits. Everything's kind of inconsequential. Everyone's kind of made of rubber. Uh, and it's all surreal to the point of having no consequence. But then I realized, I think I have a way that Onyx could actually give me a, a movie that I'm excited to make as a director. So I just think over the years, he just blended with me on so many levels that I feel are um, kind of like Im- imperative to my existence, at least right now, you know, he's giving me a lot to investigate. Yeah. I'm, it, it, I'm curious, like what was the gap between the, the shadow zone stuff ending and like you restarting him up on, on like fr- Friday faves and the kind of more independent web series scaled down. It's almost kind of like, it's just a web show that normally you would probably just be hosted by you, but you're using the Onyx skin. Yeah. Those are kind of like uh weird. I call those, they're like the connective tissue that kind of kept him alive for me, but weren't really, how do I explain it? It's like, um, I, it's like that was just him staying alive for long enough for me to figure out what to do with him in a more proper like emotional framework. life support or something. Yeah, it was. It was like, well, let's just keep him alive. He can talk about horror movies and and improvise. I don't really like improvising as Onyx um, because I'm worried something will come out that isn't really true to the character because I'll get backed into a corner as an improviser. And the next thing you know, I'm just saying something that Onyx wouldn't say. And I hate that. So, but the Friday faves were primarily improvised. So I don't look at them as like, as like Onyx canon, the way I do the greater efforts that I've taken time in writing, but they were there to just keep him around, keep something going out on the YouTube channel until I could figure out what next to do with him. And there's a few things like that. Like I'll look at some videos with Onyx and I'm like, oh man, like you were just putting on the the skin just to kind of keep him going for a little bit longer until you could treat him properly um i'm trying to think what other ones but friday faves is one of those no offense to friday faves but um there they were there uh, probably right after shadow zone probably and you can tell like if i'm angry onyx is cussing more you know you can kind of read into the content and be like i think bowser was in a bad mood when he made most of these (laughs) because i'm in my office alone at night probably thinking like, why aren't they just making Shadow Zone season two? Uh, fuck it, I'll just do this. And then I'm just there yelling about confusing boners. And, you know, everything gets a little more base with Onyx, the more uh, angry or exasperated I am as a creator. Act three. Carl, why won't you accept me? If I raise enough money on Gimme Muns, will you let me crash with you? So over the last couple years, uh, prior to this Kickstarter, which we'll get into in a second, um, there have been a few kind of stops and starts. I don't want to call them false starts. I want to call them, you know, uh, potential avenues that unfortunately didn't pan out. And, uh, 
I was curious if I can just kind of uh, rapid fire ping some some of them off you and then you can say like, oh, yeah, that's this is the story behind it. And this is what happened. So the first one that we've previously mentioned that's also the craziest to me is that there's an unmade Onyx nerdist pilot and Bruce McCullough was going to be Onyx's dad. Yeah. Yeah. And we I mean, we met with him in person and if you know Bruce McCullough and Amy Sedaris are Onyx's parents, like uh, Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall, from Kids in the Hall, know. yeah, and Amy Sedaris from Strangers with Candy, and now like The Mandalorian, and um, I guess she was in Kimmy Schmidt, and I mean she's in a million things. But to me, watching Kids in the Hall and watching Strangers with Candy, I may not have known it at the time, but when I look at Onyx, I'm like, oh, it's just those, it's just Bruce McCullough and Amy Sedaris, and then they had. Oh a yeah, movie. Onyx is totally a kid, a Kids in the Hall character. Yeah, for sure, and and a lot of the mannerisms, and I didn't pick up on this until I revisited Strangers with Candy after doing Onyx for a while. Um, a lot of uh, Jerry Blank's mannerisms on Strangers with Candy are, are seen in in Onyx, and a lot of the cad- the cadence in her delivery. And the and the crushing anxiety and the crushing anxiety. The fact that her eyes are always like that too. She's always like this. Um, yeah, frozen in fear, no matter what's happening, but still has this weird confidence in her. Um, but so we met with Bruce and one of one of my production, not my production head, but one of like my production oversights at Nerdist was like, I think if we could get Bruce on board, we could make a case that this is worth financing because. I mean, Bruce directs so much. I mean, he directs Shit's Creek. He directs so much big comedy and just having his stamp of approval. And then that would probably unlock some other comedic actors to fill out the cast. And um, we met with Bruce and I mean, the dude was just amazing and started the meeting by asking me, he said, so I know uh, you're you're wanting me to play Onyx's father. And I said, yeah. And, he, and I'm in front of like three other people from Nerdist, uh, including my boss's boss. And Bruce says, well, let me ask you, what's your relationship like with your dad? And I was like, oh, and I could tell from his demeanor that he was serious and that he wanted a serious answer, which really excited me because right there in that moment, I felt, man, comedy is serious to him. He knows these jokes come from a real place and he wants to know the emotional reality before just saying, yeah, I'll play your dad in some fucking goof around bullshit pilot that nobody will ever see. Like he really wanted to know what the emotional anchor was. And so I, in front of my bosses, I was like, well, you know, uh, I don't have the best relationship with my dad, but it's getting better. Here's why it wasn't good for six or seven years. And here's what we're doing to get it back on track. And I just said the honest truth. And he was really touched by that. And then we just started talking about the character. He had seen Onyx's videos. He said, you know, people have tweeted your videos to me over the years saying, like, this is your son. <laughs> and uh, and he didn't know who I was, though, behind the character. And it was a wonderful meeting. And he was like, well, if you guys decide to make this, I'm I'm here. I'm in. So we had him and he's, it was a wonderful time uh, when we thought we were going to get to make it with him. But it just... It just, I don't know, it, getting Nerdist to take a, they just never moved in that direction of, can we get features made? Can we get TV shows made? You know, they never really went all in on that. They never just said, let's put this much money aside and get three pilots off the ground this year, Onyx being just one of them. Uh, they just never, never went all in. There was a pilot for Sci-Fi Channel at one point for our news show, but doing scripted with them was always going to be difficult 
especially when it came to, you know, asking for like a budget clearance that they'd never dedicated to like a single project before. So it just died. It seems it seems so strange to me, especially because Onyx aside, right? If you're churning out all of this content and you're making all of these in air quotes proof of concepts, it seems almost kind of counterintuitive to not try and take those things and incubate them into larger money-making enterprises. I know. I know. I mean, that's that. I think there are people with that perspective and then there's just people that don't have that perspective. There were a number of us that were like, but isn't this just what you would naturally do? You would just naturally say like, well, I got Bowser on the hook. He's here every day. You know, um, let's just, let's just make this. We've been making sketches. We, this could be an original IP. We could probably get Bowser into a deal where we kind of co-own the character. Um, yeah, it, 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 to me felt more like, like a more natural progression than it, it, than it was looked at by the higher ups. I would have hoped that you would not have had to sell him down the river to get that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, (laughs) we both know how these things work and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think the, 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 the reason for that is just because, you know, working in digital media and making these sketches, you know, the, 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 the margins on them are so razor thin. And a lot of times like the, the A to B of, of like return on investment is like very kind of esoteric. It's like, especially before, you know, before you were able to like make money on Facebook with videos, you really were just making videos to build an audience so that you could like maybe into some indirect way, try to sell them things like a subscription service or, or merch or whatever. So the, so the, the ROI is very indirect and kind of esoteric or abstract. And that, and so the way that they really justify that is because the videos will cost like $200, a couple thousand dollars or whatever it is, basically nothing. But then the moment that it's like, oh, we're talking about real money right now, uh, you know, in theory, and I've, I've worked, I, I think similar to what you're talking about, I've worked at a lot of companies where in theory, they do really want to make movies or, or develop a TV show and sell it, uh, you know, upstream to, to a studio or a Netflix or whatever. But when the, when it actually comes to like, okay, you want to do that. We've talked about this. We've talked about developing these IPs. We have these IPs that are popular with people. People like them. So let's do it. We need a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. It's like the, the, the math equation for them is always going to turn out as like, this is too big of a risk. Like we, we just can't do this. It's true. Yeah. Especially when it was such a foreign concept because we did deal in like viral videos and branded deals for, uh, yeah, sponsored videos and sponsored content. Yeah, there, it was really hard to get anyone to wrap their mind around how could this possibly pay off for the company. Yeah, fuck that. Um, uh, so the next one, the next one, and f- feel free to throw if there's stuff here that I've missed. But the the next one that I'm aware of is uh, the Overlord of Evil. Yeah. Well, I I thought. For a while, and I guess that's kind of where I landed with the feature I'm trying to kickstart is like, well, I want to put Onyx in in an absurd 80s horror comedy, but the original ideas were more absurd than what I landed on with the Talisman of Souls, which is the one I'm kickstarting. Overlord of Evil was going to be uh, that he accidentally opened a portal that I think let like little gremlins through. But um, but it was it was just much more slapsticky and, and even more heightened than. I wound up really wanting to do like Talisman of Souls is actually more emotionally grounded and there's not much supernatural in it until you get deeper into the film. Whereas Overlord of Evil was like, 
yeah, it was going to be, I guess it probably would feel more like a little Nikki or some kind of, you know, happy Madison production where character development and grounding the world was less important. And the shtick was at the forefront. And I think I was working on that because I thought there, there might be like a micro budget initiative. A lot of these ideas were because I thought, because for a while there was going to be like a micro budget feature initiative at Nerdist. So I was just churning out pitches that were like, it all takes place in one location and it's Onyx and there's like some critters. Um, and so a lot of these were from that or because I thought maybe I could sell it to one of the horror companies that I've been in touch with over the years, but that's never happened. It's it's weird. I'm told time and time again, nobody wants horror comedy, but then I just sit back and watch bad horror comedies get made. So I don't really know what's going on there, but uh, I'm constantly told not no horror comedy. We're only looking for straight horror. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what that means. And I'm a huge horror fan, but. <laughs> uh, was Beefy Bad Bois from Outer Space also a part of that? No, uh, yeah, yes, it was. Beefy, but, but, but there were two incarnations of Beefy Bad Boy from Outer Space. The first one was, and this I felt like, this was the one I really pushed for the micro budget initiative. I was basically like, okay, I, I was trying to think of an idea that the onyx of it all wouldn't even matter so much. Like what would just be a good movie and then onyx is in it? Because I didn't think anybody would just care that there's an onyx movie. Um, so like the concept I wanted it to be sound enough to, to kind of then reverse onyx into, but it was basically like the future. It was a terminator, the terminator. And in the future, there was some war between humans and robots but maybe aliens also. And there was like a bug that winds up taking out the robots. You know, there's like uh, some kind of virus. And it turns out that virus was created by like Onyx, who was a game designer uh, and a real shitty one. And he was working at a company like Blizzard or probably a smaller company. And, you know, the movie opens with him pitching this kind of like, uh, what was that game? Meat, Meat Boy or whatever the... Super Meat Boy. Yeah, like a game like that. But, it, oh, and we even did that on Shadow Zone. There was like Turd Boy or whatever. Um, it was like a game like that. And it like as he's making the presentation to his bosses, it like fucking fries their servers and, you know, nearly gets him fired. But then that night a Terminator uh, shows up uh, and they're ba- basically like, your, your bug is what's going to save humanity. So then Onyx becomes the John Connor and has to be protected at all costs, even though these... And and, and the the joke to me was that like, it t- you know how in those movies there's always this convincing that has to be done. Like, you're what? You're from the future? Wait, what? But the idea was that this Terminator would just say what he is and Onyx would be like, oh yeah, you're a beefy bad boy. Beefy bad boy from outer space. I get it. And then just be on board and like not have to <laughs> be pitched on the idea. He's just, yeah, I get it. Cool. And so then they go on this adventure and there's like an evil robot after them and an evil alien. But then I then I rewrote Beefy Bad Boy as a short that was about an alien kind of crash landing in front of Onyx, a comic book store that Onyx worked at. And I was right about to shoot this, um, was even tr- still trying to shoot it during the pandemic. Um, but then, it, you know, things just got worse and worse. But we had a comic book store location and it was about this alien showing up. And then basically it's like uh, Onyx helps him get in disguise. And then when they they realize there's all these like scavengers kind of coming down to chase him. So it would be about Onyx and this, and this alien, this big, big beefy bad boy having to go on the run and keep him safe. So it's kind of just reverse of what the other idea was. But that one I wrote, it was a funny little like eight pager and was going to shoot it. But then at some point it, it just, my interest morphed into writing like a proper feature. 
was there a version of him after this where he was going to be a paranormal investigator? Yeah, I and I, I fucking man, I I had like a thirty page pitch deck for that. Um, yeah, I was like, well, what's a paranormal investigator? But then he becomes kind of obsessed with the couple whose house he's investigating, or it turns out he's maybe creating the haunting just to have like a reason to exist in these people's lives. And it was going to be a more, a little more like a cable guy or Chuck and Buck, like weird obsessive personality that wouldn't leave them alone. And then, but then a, a movie came out called another evil, which is basically that. And, uh, and it's not a bad movie. So I saw that and I was like, Oh, well that's kind of the Onyx paranormal investigator idea. Um, and so I, I set that aside. I think that one was called, um, Oh fuck. It had like a, a punny name. Oh, I was going to call it Unwelcome Spirits, but my friends were like, no, just call it Unwelcome. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's better. But I dropped it once I saw another evil. <laughs> uh, and then, and then basically, so you have all those ideas. Those are kind of percolating through the, through the brain meats, as they say. I realized, I remembered another one there. Sorry. There was one more that was going to be about Onyx as a Satanist praying uh, for the like return of this demon and this is going to sound convoluted and like a bad pitch, but basically that as he's praying, um, we also are intercutting with this like petty thief, like this, you know, cat burglar uh, in the in the in the neighborhood. And basically that character, like the next day, crashes through Onyx's, you know, meat hut job. And Onyx thinks it's this like dark angel that's fallen. And the thief goes along with it because he's like, yeah, yeah, dude, that's me. Hey, do you got a place we can hide out? Uh, and it's like, for you, Azeroth, anything. And he basically like has to convince Onyx that he is this dark angel. And again, they go on the run and the guy wants him to get, the guy is just like lying the whole time about like, we've got to get to Devil's Rock. That's how I can get back to hell. And so Onyx is like, oh, for sure. But the truth is the guy just like wants to go to, you know, I don't know where to pull off some big heist. And then Onyx is involved with this criminal. And I wanted Jimmy Simpson to play the the weird criminal. <laughs> uh, it's it's so fun, though. Like I, I the the various things that I've worked on over the years also have almost kind of like a weird personal mythology to them, too, where there's kind of like the thing that gets made isn't the actual thing. There's like 500 things before that thing and uh it might seem self-indulgent to some people but i there's nothing i like better than learning how those little like personal stories that never get the the kind of you know the the myths they like link together and form the chain of like oh it was gonna be this but then i thought of this other thing and then i had this other idea and sideways and then you know by the end it's this weird barnacled like fucked up mangled skeleton of a story and yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. And 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 all of, and the pieces of all these different ideas are definitely in the the feature that I did write, the Talisman of Souls. They're all in there in a in a weird way. Um even if they're just kind of like a character for one of those ideas repurposed. I mean, there's a portal to hell in all of the ideas or a portal from space. You know, there's a beefy bad boy in all of the ideas. There's a beefy bad boy in this. Um so it's all somewhere in the the ingredients, the recipe. Yeah, for this let's one. let's talk about the uh, the the Kickstarter and the new movie, and basically, so you you had all those ideas, and you you had started a, a TikTok account, and you were doing videos of Onyx on the TikTok, and they kind of you know gained again another significant following. I mean, it, it feels like we're there's something very almost elemental about this character that connects with people. Maybe it's the 
the crushing anxiety or I don't know what it is, but it's, it, it really seems to pinpoint something. I think it's the expressive eyebrows. I think it might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you, so you're, you're kickstarting a movie right now and it's called Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. Uh, Bowser, what is the log line for the movie for the person who has now sat through two hours? Of I know, right. Talking. Who's like, Jesus, this guy Bowser's really high on himself. Um, the log line is Onyx is a fledgling Satanist who enters a contest, not dissimilar to the Willy Wonka contest, where this big satanic leader named Bartok is going to select five followers to join him at his mansion to take part in a once in a lifetime ritual called the ritual of Abaddon rising. And Onyx wins one of the tickets. And when he gets there, uh, he pretty soon realizes that Bartok might not have the best of intentions toward him and the rest of the contest winners. So the proverbial shit hits the fan. And uh, you're finding it on Kickstarter. You've made three feature films before, worked at Nerdist, done a whole bunch of fucking shit, and you're, you're trying to raise 500 grand, and uh, it's going fairly well, I would say. You know, it seems like you're moving towards the... Uh, towards the, the finish line. The thing that's so enticing to me about this, though, is that, you know, I love horror comedy movies um, and I love movies with practical effects. And you have Studio ADI doing all of the practical effects. Um, I am curious, have you met Tom Woodruff Jr.? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, I mean, my favorite horror movie of all time is Pumpkinhead. Not even just my favorite monster movie. My favorite horror movie of all time is Pumpkinhead. And uh, and Tom Woodruff is the one in the suit. He was the one working with Stan Winston at the time who's in the Pumpkinhead suit. I met Tom because I started working with his son, David, on Nerdist videos. David's also a makeup artist. And we hired David to do a short with Doug Jones, the creature performer from Shape of Water and now Star Trek Discovery. And... Uh, and David came highly recommended to do this makeup on Doug, which was basically Doug getting his face ripped off in a Scooby-Doo sketch where they thought they'd already unmasked him. Um, or no, they thought that his actual face was the mask. And so they pull off his skin. So the whole sketch is Doug Jones sitting there with no face. And I met David and then we started working on sketches together. And then I made a short called House Mother, which was a short with Barbara Crampton that Almost became a feature for like a year. We got like pieces of finance and we had like 250 here, 100 here. And then we almost had a grant to shoot in Canada and then that fell apart. Um, but I had met with Studio ADI to flesh out what the effects budget was on House Mother as a feature. And so I had a one-on-one -on -one with David and, and Tom. And uh, from there, just had like enough of a, familiarity where I could reach out every now and again. And when um, I launched a podcast for the horror brand Alter and uh, Tom Woodruff, I wrote him to be a guest on one of our early episodes. And he said, yeah, we had a great chat about just being a monster kid growing up and what got him into the makeup world. And so when I, when I decided to launch the Kickstarter, I wrote them right away. And I was like, will you, it's, it's dicey because getting people to uh, attach their name to a crowd funding project is like a lot of people won't do it because you know, what if you what if it fails does it look like it failed because their name wasn't important enough what if it succeeds and you don't give anybody their rewards and then everyone associated with the project is uh criticized 
and hated. So I, I, it's worrisome, but Studio ADI trusts me enough. And uh, Tom specifically said, I love Onyx. Feel free to say that we'll be involved. And, you know, the only caveats being that they're going to, I love it. Like the only caveats being they need to be involved to the degree where they're signing off on the designs before they begin their work. And I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> the only caveat is you have to be more involved, please. So, uh, yeah, they're down. If we get the money, they're down and they're, they've already, I've already sent them the creature designs we have. And, you know, if we get the money, oh God, it'll be so exciting, but it's so exciting just to start talking about monsters. And, you know, they were already like, well, so this could be done this way. This could be animatronic or it could be puppeteered, but the makeup would go on the actor. They'd be in this position. And I'm like, yes, yes. That's all the stuff I love to hear about. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited if that happens. I, I met him briefly at a bride or no son of Frankenstein, ghost of Frankenstein screening. And he was like walking. He was walking up the aisle to go to the bathroom, like in between movies at the new Beverly. And I like, I like did one of those like because I like instantly recognized him, which I'm sure he doesn't probably get that much. But, you know, to me, he's the Predalien. He's fucking he's the Gill man from from Monster Squad. And so I immediately like popped up and I was just like, yo, I just want you to know Monster Squad's like one of my favorite movies ever. You're fucking you're like the definitive fuck Rocky, whatever, from the original uh for the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's you, baby. Gilman, all the way. And he was super nice. He was just like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. The designs in that movie are, in weird in weird ways, almost more iconic than the original designs of those monsters. They're so dialed in. I mean, that, that's, that shot whenever the Gilman, when they get the Gilman out of the lagoon, and then they, just the camera cranes up as he, like, yells into the fucking darkness and it's like that it's like that group shot of all the monsters that's like that's like one of the coolest shots in any movie ever i know i for me as a kid i was like what am i supposed to do with that like that's (laughs) all i fucking want right there i mean even just the fact that like dracula has an obsession with dynamite in that movie i love that weird little detail that hasn't really been picked up on anything since and I'm kind of fine with that. I just love that in this one version, he's just like really into exploding stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it too. There's so much weird. There's that perfect like Fred Decker level of quirk and eccentricity laced throughout that I just, that just really hits home for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so, you know, the the Kickstarter campaign's going well. Um, it's, you know, a throwback genre movie. Um, but it's not overly kind of like, hey, remember? Remember the thing? Um, which is also cool to me. Um, yeah, it's not it's not an homage to its detriment. Like I I just feel like there's so and I know that term is thrown around of throwback, and I and everything I see that says it's an 80s throwback, it's or this and that throwback, I'm like, yeah, in ways it is, but it doesn't give me the feeling I get when I watch those movies. Like the feeling I get when I watch Gremlins is actually like a lot of warmth and heart and character. And there's something very inviting about it because it kind of has that Amblin tone. And then the horror is, you know, juxtaposed against that. I don't get when I see these 80s throwback things. I mean, I guess season one of Stranger Things kind of got there in ways, but I wasn't ultimately a big Stranger Things fan at the end of the day because I felt like it, 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 it kind of, I mean, I don't know, man. I felt like it jumped the shark 
A show like that should have jumped the shark season five, but it jumped the shark for me in season two. Um, but I just think it was, it, it was homage to its detriment, says the person who has never made a deal as big as the Duffer brothers. But, um, I, so it's not homage first. It's like, do the bones of this story and these characters also fit in the world of an eighties horror movie? Would you, could you see this as an eighties horror movie just updated though? It's still for a modern audience. It's, it's, it's like wanting to make. Uh, a movie now that still feels spiritually aligned with those movies in the 80s but it's not camp really it's 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 not uh you know there's not special effects that are purposefully bad and it's like lol look that's what it looked like in the 80s when somebody got their head blown up in a horror movie you know it's all still grounded in in my eyes believable in a in a way but it's it, not, it is it's not like kung fury or whatever right it's not kung fury right it's not riding off of stylization and for going, still trying to give you a real movie. This is like, no, there's like a real movie there. Um, it's just the kind of movie that I would wa- have watched in the 80s. It's just the kind of movie I haven't seen recently. If uh, if somebody wanted to back the Kickstarter, where would they go? They would go to onyxthemovie.com. And I have really tried to build out the tiers in a way that like, People that like the Onyx content and have enjoyed the character over the years, there's like a tier for everybody. Like there's a lot of the tiers when I first built them out were just about the talisman of souls. They were just about the new project. But then I took it to a private Facebook group of, of Onyx aficionados and they were like, Oh, I, I just want a t-shirt that says, I don't know. And I was like, Oh, right. Cause that's that, the thing he says. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't have the objectivity that a lot of fans have. So then I restructured the tiers to have a lot of, uh, not only content, but products that harken back to the original videos. And then I do like new commentary on those old videos. One of the tiers is like a downloadable audio file that's just Onyx doing commentary on Gremlins 2 or Pumpkinhead or The Crow. So like, it's such a fun reward to make because it's just me sitting and watching Gremlins 2 as Onyx. But I think that's a really fun reward. You can sit back, have a beer and just pop it on the TV while you have Onyx in your headphones. Um, and then obviously there's rewards that are just like getting the Blu-ray or getting the digital link when it's all said and done. Um, they really run the gamut, getting a personal shout out from Onyx where he just thanks you for backing his film. Uh, but yeah, onyxthemovie.com is, is sure to go. O-N-Y-X. O-N-Y-X. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I backed it. I think, uh, if you're Thank into you weird. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. If you're into if you're into weird internet comedy, uh, horror movies, or um, uh, seeing more ADI visual effects stuff, that's what I'm. That's what I. That's the thing I'm like. I just hope. I hope it. I hope you cross that finish line because I want to see them monster dudes. Well, and the truth is, like, there's this one creature in the movie that in the script now because I wrote it with like a ceiling in mind. You know, I wrote it with five hundred thousand as a production budget in mind. So I show a monster, but I'm like, yeah, but. I need to show a monster in a way that we can shoot him out in a day. You know, like I was very practical in, in how I structured the the scenes. But if we were to surpass our goal, one of my first initiatives would be to show more of the monsters and have more time with them. Um, there is one sequence at the end that I did just write like all out. I'm like, well, it's the finale. I got to show this thing sprout wings and, you know, fly around. So there, there's a bigger effect towards the end. But then there's also these little creatures throughout that I think are really fun. 
Um, and there's like a specific throwback to, I don't know why the scene stuck out to me, but remember that scene in Poltergeist where one of the investigators has like a nightmare and he looks in the mirror and he starts like pulling off his own skin. I've always wanted to recreate it. This is one of the instances of just direct homage. Onyx has a nightmare that he's become a ghoul because what happens in the film is that, you know, these people's souls are taken and they become these kind of husks. They become these soulless ghouls, not quite zombies because they're not brainless, but they're soulless. So they're just these automatons and, uh, and kind of can, will do whatever the bad guy makes them want, it makes them do. But Onyx has a nightmare that he's one of these ghouls and he starts pulling off his blue skin and it's just falling into the sink and blood is pouring into the sink. And I want to do that scene from Poltergeist, but do it with modern technology because it was so, it, you know, I love that movie, but it, that effect in, in Poltergeist is pretty laugh out loud because it was just real hands, but like a maquette, you know, like a dummy head. And so it's just going like this and the hands are like pulling it down. <laughs> And it always made me laugh, but I want to do that with uh, Studio ADI doing it legitimately. Well, I'm 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 pulling for you. Um, I mean, if you if you go past your goal, you'll do it for real. Like if you get enough money, oh yeah, I'll just pull my face off, your own face off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a promise. Um, is there anything else you wanna you wanna say to potential backers or uh, people who might be on the fence? I think I think just that uh, I that this is the the best way forward for this character and it feels to me like his destiny everything that i've put into the character i i really found that this script took to the next level and when i first explored the premise i thought yeah this is this is i think this is the right concept to finally sit and write a full onyx feature but i don't even think i understood just how much it would unlock i mean we make good on the pilot with bruce mccullough we have we have his father in the movie. We have flashbacks to when Onyx was eight years old. And without it being too heavy-handed, you kind of see when he first got his a, a panic attack. We see when he started saying, I don't know, nervously for the first time. Like, you really kind of see, and not in a cheesy Han Solo way, where they're like, your name will be Solo. But in a really fun, organic way that I think elevates the character and makes good on the last nine years of doing content with him. So I think I would just want people to know that it's not just going to be a string out of bits. It's like a really fleshed out narrative with some heart and uh, lands the character in a place where if this is the only thing we get to do with him on this level, this one movie, where he is at the end of the movie, it's nice to think that's where he lives forever. He he lands in a place that feels like he stepped into whatever his purpose was, both as a character for me and maybe as a real person in this alternate reality. But if the movie gets made and does well enough to get us a second film, it puts him in a spot that clearly could lead to even greater adventures. Well, on that note, I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com, where you can find books like Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, Star Trek, Night Hunters, all the good stuff. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me kneeling down on my knees next to my boy Onyx, praying at the altar of the the uh, the mighty Baphomet. And you can also find me at dapricewrites.com, where you can get my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can also get our Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency shoulder patches on my website, or on Dave's, or at the official Deep Cuts Pod uh, store, deepcutspod.com. And if you're, uh, if you're, you know, hankering to help make old dirty Andrew Bowser's dreams come true, go to Onyx, 
themovie.com and please back the Kickstarter. Uh, all right. Uh, just going to stop recording and we did it. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, especially for, you know, making the trip up here to the Mystery Treehouse. It's uh, it's not an easy place to find. For sure, for sure. No, it's not a problem, guys. That was a lot of fun. Do you think your listeners will be into my Kickstarter? I mean, our listeners are like two-thirds juggalo. They basically invented being passionate about weirdo, goofy, artistic shit. Yeah, and like daily face painting can't be cheap. These people have disposable income. Uh, yeah? Is he here? Is he really here? Whoa, what the hell are you? Uh, this is Hillsmer, our space demon roommate, who isn't supposed to come out of his room when we have podcast guests over as to not shatter their feeble mortal minds hitherto ignorant to the existence of living demons and therefore the existential implications about the afterlife that come along with that revelation. Is who here, Hillsmer? Bowser, of course. I heard you talking about how Bowser was going to be here. Oh, see, I, I weirdly get this a lot. Uh, I'm not the giant fire-breathing lizard villain from the Super Mario Brothers franchise. What? Never heard of it. I thought you were Doug Bowser, president of Nintendo America. I mean, he's no Reggie, but still. Wait, you've never heard of Super Mario, but you... Never mind. Uh, I refuse to get hung up on this detail when I'm talking to an actual fucking demon. Well, anyway, some weird freakish dude is here to see you. It is I, Onyx the Fortuitous, Slayer of the Bright Realm, Devourer of the verboten teachings of Baphomet, Burdened Messenger of the Siren Calls of Sweet Oblivion, Power Bottom Dungeon Daddy perched between the twin-bosomed embrace of the Amazonian Shamebringer that bit into the apple of temptation with supple and venom-soaked lips, destined to ride atop the flaming steed that will end existence at the precipice of the shattering of time. I don't know. I was feeding the meter every 15 minutes, as instructed, half-mumbling the lyrics to Sail by AWOL Nation, each time its familiar melody crackled through the din of mid-afternoon street construction as I cycled through FM stations in your 2012 Honda CRV. when I miladied a passing street jogger, reaching out through the lonely void with nothing but the flaming hot Cheeto-stained brim of my fedora as the guiding light to beckon this fair maiden into my loving but cold embrace, when I realized that my coin purse had come up wanting, drained of hay pennies, and unable to fund my expedition into the depths of the inner workings of that unknowable heart of darkness that is the female mind. I don't know. I ran out of quarters to feed the meter, and the parking attendant was driving up, so I panicked and ran. God damn it, Onyx, you had one job. Oh my god, you had Onyx the Fortuitous waiting in the car? Yeah, I'm driving him to a job interview for a shift lead at Marty's Meat Hut after this. Under duress, I am shepherded towards an audition to be emblazoned across my aproned breast with the name of my would-be oppressor. He doesn't want to go, but... I'm making him. Are you guys done promoting this movie thing? I know you really want to get this Kickstarter funded, but like, I don't know. LOD Poser 666 created a new Diablo 2 Hellraid server, and I need to get home and make an appearance, or the gadabouts will start spreading rumors. Onyx, we're literally doing this for you. You know that, right? Don't pass this off like some kind of act of selfless sacrifice. You're just a leech or symbiotic creature attempting to siphon off some of the palpable and tangible clout that Big Daddy Fortune has generated over his 400 million views. I don't know. Well, yeah, since you're here, this is Andrew and Dave. They host the podcast and also are world-famous detectives, I guess. Hey, man. Uh, Nice to meet you. Big fan. And this is Hillsmer. Yeah, we met. He monologued for four fucking hours in the hallway just to ask where the bathroom was. I'm sorry. My diminutive and ever so erotically demonic friend. My bladder was persistently supplying me with a siren's call to the great white beyond, the porcelain palace, the room of many spelouches, the, uh, I don't know. The shitter was necessary. Additionally, nice to meet you, gentlemen of the Treehouse of Mysteries. It's uh, the Mystery Treehouse. Uh, whatever, it's fine. 
uh, hey, Bowser, do you mind filling out some non-disclosure forms for that laser cannon prototype I was showing you prior to the recording? It would be very bad if the Pentagon found out about that. Yeah, no problem, dude. But I wouldn't tell anybody. Yeah, that's what Logan Paul said when we showed him deep fake technology. So, you're signing it. So, uh, this is the Treehouse of Mysteries. I guess. I don't give a shit, really. These two nerds spend all their time either solving crimes or recording this dumb podcast. Unlike me, I spend my time doing dope shit. Oh, dope shit. Like what? Like, uh, watching Ricardo Montalban movies and running a pirate radio station. That sounds sadder than my pitiful excuse for a life. If my stepdad Todd was here, he'd say you've made something along the lines of, uh, some shitty schwasses. Whatever. That's just... what I do here on Earth while I'm in hiding. I'm a fucking fugitive on my home planet in space hell. Fugitive? Home planet? Space hell? Tell me more. Yeah, space hell is brutal. It's a nonstop clusterfuck of anguish and badass metal shit and crazy, violent explosions, and I'm the most wanted criminal they've ever known. If you saw the crazy shit I got up to back in space hell, you'd piss your overly zippered, strangely triangular pants with a long rip along the side, crudely held together by safety pins. You have replaced legendary schlock film director Stuart Gordon as my new personal hero and savior. I worship upon the burning altar that smolders in your effigy. Choke me, space devil daddy. Choke me. Whatever, dude. I'm going to start prepping for tonight's broadcast of Hillsmer's Pirate Radio Station. Just don't touch anything. Hmm. Yes. Look at this collection of ancient tomes. These look to be a millennia old, neatly on display in this poorly assembled Ikea shelf. And what is this? This one appears to be the oldest and most sinister of all. The Squampanomicon. The Space Hell Book of the Dead. Hey, what are you doing over there? I don't know. Better not be messing around with my book collection. Oh, does the existence of space hell mean there's an Earth hell? Like, does every planet have a hell? Or, or, or is it an alien world that just happens to be named space hell? What are the rules of this universe? I must know this so that I can act accordingly. Uh, maybe I'll just pick this book up and read a passage in an attempt to edify myself on the ways of functionality within this bizarrely ill-defined existential plane. Burn in hell for all eternity. Gouge eyeballs out. Unleash an army of the dead. But only by Tansuteo's hand can the world be brought to its knees. God damn! This is some metal shit! I love this! So much death and destruction! So much horrifying slaughter of innocence! What the fuck are you doing, bro? Are you seriously reading from the Squampanomicon right now? I straight up said not to touch anything, and you touched, like, the thing! Oh, fuck. What did you do? All right, Onyx, it's time to head over to Marty's meet. Huh? Some shit's going down in here, Bowser, my man. God damn it. Hillsmer, what did you do now? Oh, oh fuck. fuck. The Squampanomicon. Not another swirling portal. Hold on to your butts, guys. Onyx is going to hell. Onyx is going to hell. He stuck his nose into the wrong book and now he's going to hell. He shouldn't have scooped in that Ikea shelf and now he's going to hell. He shouldn't have read the verbal text of the Swampanomicon and now he's going to hell. Onyx is going to hell. Where the hell are we? According to the forbidden texts within this fleshbound tome, we're on Space Hell Prison Planet 264. Holy shit! That's either the largest maximum security prison I've ever seen or a medium-sized suburban shopping mall. That is some biting social commentary, Davy boy. Mm. 
Why don't you ever high-five me for my scathing rebukes of mainstream American culture? Hmm, Andrew? Hmm? You never washed your hands. Wow, Hillsmer, you weren't exaggerating. Look at all these wanted posters plastered everywhere with your face on them. Yup. Public enemy numero uno right here. I'm the biggest badass in space hell. In fact, I can't just walk around here like this. Somebody will recognize me. I need a disguise. Quick, Onyx, give me that skinny red necktie you're wearing. Anything for you, my dark and fluffy one. You think wearing a tie is going to hide your identity, Hillsmer? Trust me, it's a well-known fact in space hell that I can't pull off ties and therefore I never wear them. Nobody will ever suspect it's me. That is so dumb, Hillsmer. No one's gonna... Wow. You really are not pulling that off. Wait a minute, did you actually read these wanted posters? It says Hillsmer is wanted for not returning books back to the library. That's supremely disappointing. That's, uh... Uh, my crimes are so vile, they couldn't even print them, so they wrote it in code. I think Space Hell just has way too strict punishments for late library books, bruh. Wait, what the fuck? What's happening? Orbs of obsidian light, shimmering with the burning hatred of one million megasuns being devoured into the event horizon of a sentient black hole, are emanating from the Squampanomicon and ascending on the prison. Oh no, that's bad. That's really bad. Oh, Space Hill Prison Planet 264? That's where they're keeping... Forsooth, what is that hideous mushroom-shaped silhouette ascending from the space prison? I've only ever heard rumors of his existence. Only ever dreamed in my worst nightmares this could come true. If this demon thing is so bad, why did you keep the book in your house? Because it's fucking collectible. Does anyone else hear those drums? Yeah, kind of badass. What the hell? Where's that voice coming from? That mushroom-headed demon dude doesn't even have a mouth. Uh, I believe those dulcet pipes are emanating from its three singing penises. Oh, Space Jesus. It is true. We've unleashed one of the deadliest space hell criminals in existence. Tan Sateo and his forked singing penises. I'm Tensei, I'm completely 
Why are his three penises doing that? Why are they still flaccid but rising in the air, as if partaking in some sort of psychoerotic radio wave orgy? They're dancing and swaying in time to some unseen, unheard song! It's like the cosmos negative energy is feeding Tansateo both literally and metaphorically. Uh, more like literally and sexually? I can't take my eyes away from his alabaster skin. His milky off-white demon scales are pulling me toward him. The unheard wail of the forlorn emanates from his octagonal gentian regions. Those singing dicks are luring me to it. Their urethral mouths puckering in resplendent demonic sexuality. Yeah, what, what he said. What are you doing, Onyx? Fashioning a crude magic missile that I withdrew from my bag of holding? That's just a paper airplane you made out of your Marty's Meat Hut job application. And that's just an Invader Zim fanny pack. Take that, Tansuteo! Wow, good throw. It hit him right in the single exposed part of his underbelly where he's missing a scale. Yeah, too bad it's literally just a paper airplane. Marty's Meat Hut of the Corps of Sherman and Prince Albert Way. Oh, yes! I can feel it. The most concentrated negative energy in any dimension in the multiverse is contained within that single location. The many tortured souls that have come here and wither to die. The screams of millions of lost spirits hunched over processed diarrhea wrapped in tortillas. The tears that have been shed inside of the walk-in freezer alone. I have never seen such a veritable feast of sadness and despair over two billion years. This is where I must go to feed. Ugh! He grabbed the Squabonomicon right out of my hands! Cursed my soft, frictionless fur! Shit! He got away! Did anybody else start to feel a lot of anger and aggression when his three penises were singing? I started to get, like, really resentful of the fact that your shitty Juggalo listener base isn't going to back my Kickstarter. Hey, fuck you, man. Our audience is great. Your fans are the ones that are going to listen to the one episode and then not subscribe to our show. You know? I mean, shit. They're just never going to listen to another episode of this again. I know it. I can feel it in my bones. Guys, this is what the hypnotic sound of Tansateo's aggression-generating siren song is doing to us. It's making us turn on each other. Shut the fuck up, you whiny, know-it-all, bespectacled piece of southwestern meth town gutter garbage. Wow, you're right. It really is making us aggressive towards each other. Oh, I'm unaffected by space demon magic. I just actually fucking hate these guys. Shit. If Tanzuteo goes to Earth and unleashes this kind of power, it could end the world. Humans already fucking hate each other. We'll tear each other apart with his singing dicks fueling us. Oh, red and furry demonic dark lord, how are we going to return to our earthly plane without the teleportation powers of that dark and unholy tome, the Squampanomicon? I don't know. We have to go to the darkest, most malevolent, most insidious realm of space hell, a place no mortal has ever ventured. I'm not even sure your soft bodies will be able to survive it, but it's our only option if we want to get back home. One very long walk later! The department in space hell of clerical 
residencies, accounts, procedures, and practices? Dish crap? So it's basically like the space hell DMV? Don't let its looks deceive you. Dish crap is a living nightmare. Would you guys mind moving a little further to the wall so that foot traffic can pass through here? Oh, yes, of course. Sorry. I don't know, Hillsmer. I'm starting to think that Space Hell isn't actually some Old Testament-style black metal world of nightmares and pain. It's just a really weird bureaucratic shithole. Crushing, unyielding disappointment washes over me as I stare into the eyes of my once and former Space Devil Daddy, no longer recognizing the dark power he held over me. A crisis of faith grips me as I wonder if, as I've lived my life spent in servitude to the teachings of the Dark Ones, they ever truly imbued me with their dark witchcraft. I don't know. This place sucks. Whatever, you assholes. We need to go to the Interplanetary Immigration Office and get permits to fly a commercial pod back to Earth. Next! Uh, yes. Hello. My name is Hillsmer Sp- Um, Earthman. Myself and my fellow Earth creatures were mistakenly transported to space hell after a grisly tractor combine accident, and we need permits to return to Earth so we can go to regular human hell. We were all wearing clothes that mixed different types of fabrics when the accident happened, which I guess is a one-way ticket to the old fiery pit down there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need your whole life story, hun. Do you have Form 27B Stroke 6? God damn it, Hillsmer. There's a form? We queued for eight hours and there's a fucking form? Oh, yeah. I, uh, kind of forgot about the form. I was never much for space hell paperwork back in the day. Back in the day? Uh, back in the day when... Uh, Uh, before dying, he was struggling with a rare degenerative neurological disease where he remembers the present as the past and the past as the future. When he says back in the day, he's referring to right now. Please don't draw attention to it. He's very sensitive. Wait a minute. Don't you seem familiar? I feel like I've definitely seen you before. I think what you're noticing is just how awful he looks in that skinny red necktie. Like he looks like a piece of shit in that red necktie. You're right! That's exactly what it is. You need to rethink that choice because you're not pulling it off at all. I'll keep that in mind. I mean, uh, I would have kept that in mind. Checks out. One form and another eight hours later! Alright, fucking finally. Let's get out of here before a bunch of space hell hipsters who like to ironically wear clothing items that look bad on them on purpose see through the disguise. I don't know. Space hell isn't cool? Nobody asked you. One interplanetary trip later! Alright, well, at least we're back at the Mystery Treehouse, but we need to get to Marty's meat hut. We have to stop Tan Soteo from psychically bringing out people's deepest innermost resentments. If we don't, it could mean the end of everything. I've been repairing the weird jet thing that Charles Wexler Weller crashed into the side of the Mystery Treehouse during the musical episode. I mean, uh, season one finale. I mean, that time we met Zero. We can carpool? What's carpooling in a jet? Jet pool? That just sounds like a shitty Rob Liefeld character. How dare you speak ill of Uncle Rabito? Great. I'd offer to drive us, but I'm pretty sure my car got towed after Onyx stopped feeding the meter and we were in space hell for like a week. Here she is, boys. I call her the Lincoln Jr. You know, because the ship that Professor Pierre Aranex was sailing on when he discovered the Nautilus in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was called the SS Abraham Lincoln. You know we didn't know that, you fucking asshole. Uh, actually, I fucks with Vern. Hey, Onyx, maybe if we defeat this ancient demon in time, and it hasn't destroyed too much of the place, you can still go to your job interview. You sound like Todd! Job interview this, responsibility that. 
The fumes from the acrylic paint you use to make your Warhammer 40k figurines are giving your mom hallucinations. Fuck you, Todd. The non-toxic stuff takes too many coats to get the color right, and it's too glossy. I don't know. Sounds like there's a whole lot going on there, man. One cramped jet pool ride later! I don't know why, but every time I step foot in a Marty's Meat Hut parking lot, I get sad. Me too, but that probably has more to do with me habitually stuffing my face full of totally not stolen curly fries behind the dumpsters. The real question is, where the fuck is Tan Suteo? He said he was coming here, didn't he? He can't be far off. My space demon senses are tingling. He's definitely nearby. Hearing you describe these otherworldly abilities you have, tiny furry friend, makes you ever so slightly more alluring to me. I have long yearned for extrasensory abilities, strange gifts from the nether realms of reality, ungodly powers that I could use to take my vengeance out upon the unknowing slovenly idiots of this cursed domain in which so many reside. <gasps> Look up there! Tansuteo is using his triple dicks to start some sort of psychic shockwave. I can feel the anger and discontent growing inside of me. Yeah, me too. My... My rage at you two idiots is becoming fucking overwhelming. Idiots? Onyx and I are your guests, you tiny mighty mouse looking motherfucker. Be kind to us. Our millennial Abbott and Costello-esque shenanigans are going to bring more awareness to your shitty podcast than you could ever dream of. The mystery treehouse is only big enough for one Abbott and Costello, you bearded putts. No one insults the friends of Onyx the Fortuitous, Slayer of the Bright Realm. Welcome to the Sucker Punch Zone. Ah, oh god. Ah, ah. You'd think they'd turn into normal punches at some point, but they just keep being sucker punches. Ah! Ah! Your throat is so thin and bird-like, Dave. I'm gonna fucking snap your spine right through your skinny little skinny skin skin. What is it? What does that even mean? I hate you two. You're interfering in my new potential feature film. Don't you see how important this is to me? I'm basically gonna be the new Costello or Abbott. I don't ever really remember which one is which. And Bowser's gonna be my director, straight man, spiritual confidant. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna probably win Oscars for this movie. You don't even know how to tell the difference between Bud Abbott, one of the greatest straight men of all time, and Lou Costello, one of the greatest kind of fat dudes who plays dumb but is secretly really insightful about the inner traumas and anxieties of being human? You seriously can't tell the difference between them? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, which one of you is Costello? And which one is Abbott? Uh, like, Bowser is obviously Abbott. And I'm, uh, I don't know, Costello. But neither of you really meet that description? Abbott and Costello's a state of mind, motherfucker. It's like a religion. If you follow it too closely to the letter of the law, you just end up in a weird, you know, goiter-necked stooge oppressing people and, like, trying to ruin everything in the name of a weird spiritual cause. So maybe you're like each half Abbott and half Costello. Maybe? But Dave is like three foot five. How is that possible for you to each be half and half when Dave is like, I don't know, half a person himself? It's some freaky Cronenberg shit or something. I don't know. Not that I'd ever expect you to understand that, you fucking poser. Fuck you, Dave. <laughs> Look, up there, on the roof of Marty's Meat Hut. What is the red evil one doing up there on the roof? He's like carrying some sort of sandwich to... Tanzuteo? Oh my god, is he under Tanzuteo's control? What is he doing? Hillsmer, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, I can feel it. The gross aggregate of the horrifying morass of humanity's deepest insecurities and darkest angers seeping into me through my triple harmonizing penises. Ah, they really were right at that space hell prison I was trapped in. Earth fucking rules! You fucking mushroom-shaped piece of shit! I'm sending you back to where you belong! Oh, and how do you plan on doing that, my bootleg Kermit the Frog-looking motherfucker?! By feeding your tiny dick mouths this nearly indigestible Marty's Meat Hut sandwich, bitch! 
Oh, space Jesus, no! No, my, my dick mouths are they're devouring this delicious but also horrifyingly bad sandwich. I, they can't help themselves, they love it! Guys, what is he? What is he doing? It it seems to be working. It's it's weakening Tan's tail. I can I can feel the grips of the anger generating psychic rays loosening on me. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel really embarrassed about a bunch of mean stuff I just said to you guys. Like, who cares who's the Abbott and who's the Costello? You know, they were both famous comedians in the 1940s. They probably both had some uncovered problematic shit going on. Oh no! Hillsmer has dropped the last remaining bit of the sandwich. He needs more food to feed Tansateo's penis mouths. But why is feeding food to his dick having this effect on reality? It's like the fabric of existence is unraveling. My mind is splintering. If this specific Marty's Meat Hut location is the universe's most fixed point of concentrated sadness, then it's basically a lightning rod for every last ounce of negative energy that's flowing through our world. Just imagine all of the negative energy oozing into every one of Marty's Meat Hut sandwiches that's ever been made. They're, they're like basically greasy delivery systems for pain and depression. Right, I, I get it. He feeds on the psychic sadness, but he's never had it literally injected directly into his veins. He's overdosing on the shitty psychic sadness sandwich. That sounds like a great name for a song from my band, Thrice Damned. Oh god, my head feels like it's ripping in half. Hillsmer needs more sad food to feed these weird dicks or Tansateo will recover and we're all fucked. More sad food. This is it. I finally understand what my purpose is. I was always meant to be here at this moment in time, in the parking lot of the saddest Marty's Meat Hut on the planet. I once refused the call of my destiny, but now the next phase of my hero's journey can begin. I don't know. I thought that becoming a shift lead at Marty's would be just another diversion from my true path. Another way of straying from the ancient teachings of Baphomet. But now, I know that this is the path. It was always written for me to become shift lead at this specific Marty's Meat Hut, so that I could always watch over this darkest of points in our cold, uncaring universe and protect it from the most sinister of forces. I must go to this job interview, for it is as it was written in the very blood-scribbled pages of the Squampanomicon. I don't know. Oh, gross. What the... What the hell are you pulling out of your pocket, Onyx? Oh my god! If there was ever any cursed food object that is packed with more psychic energy of sadness than a Marty's Meat Hut sandwich, it's this ball of weeks-old emergency supply curly fries I keep in my pocket at all times that I snuck out of the fryer when Masha was holed up in the manager's office doing whippets with her boyfriend that day he finally got out of jail that has since become mixed together with pocket lint and that one condom I keep just in case. That boy's got the sad devil in him. You're damn right I do. Hillsmer, my spindly-legged demonic friend, heads up! Wow, Onyx, you've got quite an arm on you. I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to save this shitty town from this demon thing. I like to find a sense of coordination I didn't know I had. <laughs> Eat this fucking ball of pocket fries, demon scum penis! This isn't the last you've seen of me, Hillsmer! I don't even care that you're escaping back into space hell through a dimensional portal sure to return again to exact your revenge on me. I just want those disturbing singing penises out of my sight by any means necessary. Onyx, uh, what, what time is your job interview? Uh, right now! Shit! Hey guys, thanks for helping us out and promoting the Kickstarter on your podcast. And also, thanks for like understanding that when Onyx and I were mean to you guys, it's it's just totally because of the psionic hate frequencies coming from Tansuteo's three dicks. Yeah, no hard feelings, Bowser, my dude. I mean, you know, uh, onyxthemovie.com, 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 right? Onyxthemovie.com. Um, so, you think Onyx will get the promotion? Honestly, 
I think. Well, that solves that. What? Did you did you get it? Onyx, did, did you get it? No, no, I didn't. Masha is still a harsh succubus, but it doesn't matter to me because we're going to make this movie. Hell yes, you are. You guys want to ride home in the Lincoln Jr.? Sick. Hey, guys, uh, can I ask everyone a favor? When we fly home, can we all sit in our seats in silence, looking around at each other and staring out of the window in self-reflection after a harrowing adventure like they do in the intro to Johnny Quest? I was literally going to ask if we could, Andrew, too. I mean, you're obviously Andrew, too, but okay. So, what did they ask you during your uh, during your job interview, Onyx? They gave me a string of high-pressure, virtually no-win scenarios. But like so much James Tiberius Kirk and Kobayashi Maru'd the fuck out of them, I answered their proving jabs with my own barbed and stealthily shielded retorts. I stood firm in my desire to barely work, wear an ill-fitting manager shirt, and said that I needed at least $15 more than Masha if I was going to take on this extreme and unbridled responsibility. They did not take this well. They told me I was immature and incapable of moving up in the world. But I, seer of all things, just and right in the world, know this to be false. I know my own abilities superseded any of their petty and minuscule desires. I know that my time today bonding with these fellow Brosifs, Andre and Dave, was well worth the time and effort. And yes, I should have looked over the pre-interview questionnaire and prepped more diligently researched responses. But I cannot deny my passion, the funding of Onyx the Fortuitous, and the Talisman of Souls. I don't know. Hillsmer is pretty cool. You know, I'm a little concerned that there's, like, no real way for us to know that Tansuteo was the only demon the Squampanamicon unleashed. It did spit out a bunch of weird little lights. They could have been all demons or just, like, low-rent practical effects. It's always hard to tell with space hell props. This is all very disturbing. As disturbing as a ten-foot-tall scaly demon with a weird mushroom head and three singing peni? No, I guess not. After Tansuteo, anything else is going to be a cakewalk, honestly. Oh, I uh, forgot to tell you guys. I'm debating opening up my own franchise location of Marty's Meat Hut after that whole situation. Seems like a good investment to cater to that many sad losers. Wait, so would that mean that Marty's Meat Hut is canon in the Deep Cuts universe? Hell yeah, it does. Now we're inexorably linked forever, bitches. But you'd hate doing that, though, Hillsmer. That's like actual work. Yeah, you're probably right. So I guess that leaves us only one option. You guys, uh... Wanna get, get Marty's, Marty's meat, meat hut? hut? Yes, for fuck's sake, I've been wanting to bring it up for like two hours. Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. Onyx of Fortuitous Goes to Space Hell was written by Andrew and Dave. It starred Andrew, Dave, Andrew Bowser, Onyx of Fortuitous, and Hillsmer, who are all definitely real people. All music was written, performed, and recorded by the Dead Boy Detectives. Special thanks to Sarah Carey for no particular reason. My voice has gone out.